0: Welcome to Oz Property Investors, where you're smart, no BS friends who tell you the most interesting stuff going on in property. Join your host Jeff Miles, former mortgage broker and property developer, alongside Joe Tucker, Director of Property Principles Buyer's Agency, as they interview some of Australia's top property experts and commentators, so we can all become better property investors together. And we are live on Oz Property Investors. We bring the big names and we
1: have the big fun. And where is our guest? We don't know. Oh no, he's here. He's, here. he's just no, we got he's our backstage guests. in the green room or the or the white room. He, he can actually hear us. So how you going anyway, Joe? You got your smig, sexy haircut. You you ready to uh, ready.
0: I'm super pumped. I'm super pumped. I'm yeah. super pumped for today's development dad. Um, but development dad has some interesting, incredibly interesting story. And uh, I'm keen to unfold it. But what we wanted to do today was something a little bit different in the beginning of the show, because we keep hearing a whole heap of stuff about inflation and interest rates. So um, Jeff and I are going to talk to what inflation and what interest rates kind of mean, what it means for property investors and how it all kind of works just quickly. And then we'll jump into our live session. And if you guys like this, pop a comment, say, Joe, I like that. Uh, if you don't say, Joe, just get out of here, Jeff, see you later. Um, but no, we'll, we'll, we'll just sit t- trying something new. So um, let's do it, Jeff.
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely pop a pop a like, pop a comment, and if you're watching later on, uh, throw us a comment and like as well. So, you want me to kick off, Joe, with with my kind of uh, intro, and then we can we can throw to you at some stage. Let's do it. Yep. Cool. It. Okay. So the, the thing that's uh, and we'll bring up some numbers to conceptualise this, but the very, I'm, I'm not, uh, I don't play an economist on the internet, so you're not going to expect me to throw a post out there. But at a very high level. What's, uh, what's sort of hap- playing out a, a, across the globe to a certain We've all seen it. There's inflation. There's, it's in the in the news in the media, and and we're sort of there's a key meeting that, that is happening sort of tonight or today US time, which will probably sort of happen tomorrow morning our time, which is the inflation numbers are coming out, and they're sort of saying that that uh, they're projecting it to be 8.2 percent per annum, um, and and what, what that actually what does that actually mean though? Um, so throw a number out there and you've got um, – that's what the U.S. Federal Reserve and, and to some extent, or in Australia at least, this, the RBA looks at our inflation rate, which I believe was five, 5.1% um, annually. I don't quite on that. Um, but that's – so what, what is, is the purpose of these numbers? So what the U.S. Federal Reserve – so they've raised their rates 0.75% this year. So they've already raised it two times, a 025 and a 0.5%. So and it's likely they're even talking about a 0.5% next time they meet. So they're, they're rapidly raising those interest rates. So I'm not i don't mean to alarm people. It's just it, we're, we're record lows. But they're this. What they're saying is let's just say the um, the inflation, the U.S. inflation comes in at below 8.2% per, per annum. <laughs> they'll then sort of consider and and I'll say that they've got inflation under control, as in it's going it, it's on a downward slope. So what that what does that mean for interest rates? So essentially that means if they can um, if they can sort of give the impression that they're controlling inflation, which I don't know how you control it anyway, then maybe they can not necessarily raise it as quickly. So I'm not saying I'm not gonna I am not going i do not want to project what'll happen because I don't have i forgot my crystal ball at home, it's broken. But that's my kind of uh, insight. So there's sort of you'll hear a lot of rhetoric about yeah inflation's super high, but it's more about is it continuing to go high? And if it's not, then maybe they can stop. Um, raising the as aggressively as they are. Um, what about, what are your thoughts, Joe? What do you, what do you, well,
0: thoughts? yeah, yeah, okay. Well, it's super interesting that you've put it that way because um, they're, they're, you're saying the US is kind of getting on, con- getting on control of their inflation problem. But my thing is, is why is inflation such a problem anyway? Um, really, what the real problem is, is that goods and services and wages are not keeping up with every, with each other. It means they both they're all out of kilter, right? It's going like this. So, uh, wages are going wages are going up or down, but the good cost of goods and services are going up or down as well. Um, and they're not sticking to the, the same rate. So, low interest rate environments are absolutely everybody wants them. They're fantastic because you can keep Everything's steady. The problem is we're in this big complex world where there's external forces, there's wage growth, there's people asking for more money, there's taxes, there's growing economies in other areas. So we just can't keep on top of those type of things. So we can't keep our inflation super low because we're unable to keep a handle on it. So the government is introducing new things into the world um, to be able to control those. And some of the levers that they can use are interest rates, but... Um, one of the levers that they pulled previously was the uh printing money lever. So the way I was having a chat with my haircut man today about inflation, actually, because he's getting drastically infect- affected by it because he's too scared to raise his rates for $40 a haircut or $30 a haircut or whatever it is to $50 or $40 or wherever it is because... That's scary for him, but he has to because the cost of rent is going up, the cost of hairspray is going up and all of that stuff and wages. So he has to kind of keep up. So it's risky for him. Um, But essentially what happens is when the government tries to stimulate the economy with money, the reason why they wanted to do that is because we had COVID-19. We didn't want to go into a recession or a depression. So they printed money in the supply. So the way I like to think about it is a glass of orange juice. You have your glass of orange juice... (laughs) Joe Tucker, go to the Bankstown ten-dollar haircuts. Okay, <laughs> that's a great, great comment. Um, but you've got your glass of orange juice here. What the government essentially is doing is filling it up with water, so it is diluting the value of the, the of the of the money. But it also increases the volume of the money. So now we have more money, but we've got less value in that. So this is why buying debt is an Interesting concept to go through buying property, right? Because we're buying debt. We're buying debt at today's dollars. Current interest rate is at five point one percent. So that means next year, hundred dollars is now worth ninety-four dollars and ninety yeah. cents. What did I say? Interest rates. You said the current inflation. Rate is at 5.1%. Sorry, inflation is at five point one percent. So if you have debt, your debt is at five hundred thousand dollars for the property purchase, and it means that that value is stuck at that rate. But as inflation eats away at it, your asset base will grow. So anyway, um, what does it actually mean for property investors when interest rates rise? This was an amazing post that Toddy Sloan did at Pizza and Property. Check him out. Um, But what does 0.25 actually mean? So if you've got a $600,000 property, uh, sorry, mortgage amount, so let's say you have a $800,000 property, Your weekly repayments are $564.94. If it goes up to 3%, it's an extra $18 more. Okay? This interest rate rise, and even if it continues to rise uh, more, is not really going to affect property investors. We've already had our rents raise 15%, 20%, 30% in some cases in some of the good areas. Um, The people that it's really going to affect are people that have owner-occupied properties that have um, gone too heavy in their property investment. Anyway, I think we actually got that under wraps in seven minutes. Um, so well done to us. But was there anything more we needed to cover off on that?
1: No, I, th- I think that's, um, I think you covered it. Otherwise you could have a whole session on it, but yeah, I, I mean, should, I don't, I don't necessarily want to go and pre- get a Chris White predict the future, but um, just yeah. interesting to sort of see the way it's portrayed in the media versus um, yeah. And inflation may continue yeah. to grow. And, but, um Let's let's get yeah. on to development, Dad, because that's what everybody came here for. What what everybody saw. That. Mm. did you like it? Did you not like it? Do you want us to we'll, we'll sort of mix it up and do some on the ground. What Joe's seeing, and, <laughs> and even I'll, I'll even sort of chip in as well. But we have we brought him in. He's on the session. I'm going to be hey, Tom. Up here. Thanks for being so patient, Tom. How was your day?
2: Uh, great, great guys. Thanks very much for having me on. It's great to be here.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's um yeah, it's, I, I feel like we should be having this conversation over over Schnitty and a beer, maybe. and Dad, he's got the, he's got to put the kids to bed and now we're having a beer, having just relaxing. That's what I love to, yes, yes. to do. Like,
2: it was swimmingly. The kids were all asleep. It was uh, it was really, really good. Beers, that's a, that's a that's a thing that's of the past. I can have one or two, but with five kids I can't afford a hangover these days, guys. So um, oh, yeah. <laughs> interesting. We need to invent a family
0: Preserve yeah. the time and energy. <laughs> You've got kids to exactly. swim. <laughs> what are your <laughs> thoughts on um, in, in, uh, the whole interest rate side of things or inflation? It's absolutely fine to not have any uh, too much of a <laughs> care about it. But what, have you got any thoughts on it?
2: Yeah, look, I like your take on it before. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, It's, yeah, look, it is what it is. But I like your take on it before. Um,
0: yeah, I was, I was I'm doing a little bit of in, looking through this today. And one of the things that someone said was like, we just have to accept interest rates and act accordingly. Like you, you've got to understand yeah. what these core drivers are. There's actually a fantastic um, thing done by someone called Ray Dalio, someone who I based my business name off of. Um, and he does an amazing breakthrough, a breakdown of how the economic machine works. Everyone, this should be across schools and the world. It is absolutely fantastic. Give it gives a really good walkthrough. So I'll post that in the comments. But, Jeff, I think we've got to talk about quotes of the week. Tom, you have your own quote of the week. Yeah, let's... What? Yes. Oh, yes. So it's, it, it
2: comes from Henry Ford, and it's, don't find fault, find a remedy. Anybody can complain. So I believe that fits the theme of tonight. Uh, and, and given my position with the five kids, I could either put my head in the sand and say, look, I can't borrow any mm. further, or we can find a solution, and that's what we s- sought about doing. I, uh, you know, it's it's you can't sit on the sidelines. I understand the the power of investing, and it, it just wasn't an option to sit on the sidelines. So we had to find a way. So that was my quote for tonight.
0: Love it. Yeah, it's very uh, it's very poignant to to your situation, right? It worked out perfectly. Um, my little quote of the I week. It's- my quote yeah, is. I there you go. What. Uh, no, no. Uh, a wise person should have mon- money in their head, but not in their heart. <laughs> Invest with your head mm. and not with your heart. That's uh, oh, Jonathan geez. Swift, if anyone knows who the hell that is.
1: <laughs> I don't actually. Who is it, Joe? <laughs> oh, <I> idea.
0: <laughs> Had a great quote, though. What about you, Jeff? What's your quote of the week?
1: I, I quite like this. Uh, this is one that I say fairly regularly. You may not have heard me, but uh, it is the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. Um, so I believe that's an Einstein one. So correct me if I'm wrong. And and I feel I like to try and match the quote with the person um, who we're sort of speaking to. I'm not saying that uh, you've done the same thing over and over again, but you sort of you, you, you're talking about your light bulb mode. We'll get into that because that's that's fantastic. You had that. Because you're sort of looking at it and you're saying, well, how do, we, how do we do this? You could continue to say, oh, no, it's too hard. It's too hard. I can't do it. It's, 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 not, it's not working and I, I can't borrow. It's all these kind of uh, negative or sort of pessimistic approaches or, or mindset. But you just said, well, how do I make it work? You, you, found a, you found an alternate way. You sort of didn't do the same thing. You did something a little bit different. So I think that's um, pretty powerful and poignant, for this conversation. Yes,
2: Certainly. Yeah, look, it was very lending driven, but it really was stemmed from, uh, you know, I guess we'll go over some of the, the case studies before, but you know, we really did things in, in reverse. So we went out and went, went and bought the big dream property on the two acres. And as you'll see, it's beautiful, but it was mm-hmm. essentially a, a big anchor in terms of our wealth creation journey. And it, it was, it was, I guess, a light bulb moment among other things, which we can discuss, was really a conversation with the broker and. But I was looking at trying to, you know, we knew we had equity in the property. Uh, we're looking at doing uh, purchasing some investment properties. But he basically has pulled me up and said, look, with that extra kid it, it, dependent that you've just had, we couldn't even finance the same house you're in right now. So you're, you're way ahead <laughs> of yourself. And it really stuck with me. Um, so we really, myself and my wife, we just thought, look, we just have to do something different because um, we're not going to be able to invest if we just go down the traditional routes.
0: Mm, yeah. Awesome. Okay, well, I'm keen to dive into this. Let's jump into our first point of uh, tonight. Um, One thing to mention uh, that I think we're going to keep on every podcast and session that we run through is the information on this presentation recording is for general information only. There is no financial advice here. If you want to seek financial advice, speak to your qualified financial advisor and read through all of this. We are not experts in the financial space and we are not qualified to give you financial advice. So, With that over, let's jump into our uh, other thing here. There it is. Commercial property offers the highest cash flow in Australian property investing, offering exceptionally higher yields than residential. Now, we're talking 8 to 10% net yields. That's cash after all expenses, not this 2 to 6% gross that we see in the residential space. So for those that are starting out on their commercial investing journey, it can be exciting, but it's also a step not to be taken lightly. The expertise of a commercial buyer's agent can pay dividends to help you secure that high cash flow and high growth potential property. And this is why we recommend Steve Polisi of Polisi Property. With over six years experience in the space, Steve has over 1200 property transactions under his belt. He has seen it all and knows the best locations right for growth. In a previous life, Steve was a chartered mechanical and structural engineer, so he draws on his mathematical and analytical skills that he's developed to break down what works best in commercial property. As with engineering, same goes with commercial property. It's based primarily on the numbers. So if you're curious about diversifying into commercial property, you have access to $100,000 in cash or in equity, book a call with Steve today and find that perfect asset for you.
1: Here you go, Joe. Joe dropped a comment, and he's uh,
0: is he oh, back? He's he he is is back. A bit, a big Joe. Yeah. <laughs> so, we, so
1: we have. I'll, I'll do an intro to, to Tom. So who is this person uh, sitting? This investment uh, kind of light bulb moment. Um, so if you if you hadn't hadn't sensed, there's a bit of an accent there. So migrated to land of opportunity, Australia, in 1999. And I'd say New Zealand's a pretty bloody good place as well, so I wouldn't I wouldn't sell yourself short. But but uh, you, you came across Australia with a family in '99. You're actually a a you're a CPA, so you're an accountant with zero comprehension of it. I, I mean that's an interesting one as well. But you, and then you spent ten years though. You've got a business acronym, you you acronym, you um you worked in pork production. You've got a farm manager, so you got that hands-on sort of experience. And but then you sort of decided to to move into after you've sort of had a couple of properties and, and and few investors under your belt yourself, you decided to move into a duplex and development sort of manager with, uh, with, with one of our one of the guys who know quite well, Mr. Polizi He's on board. So you you were following Steve for a while and he thought um, that they bought a property, your parents bought a property for him and you thought, look, this is an opportunity for you to to get into something you love. So um, look, mm. I think you, the most important thing that we sort of, if we haven't played it up, is you've got five kids. So you, you've... Um, you don't sleep very much, I don't think.
2: No, no. <laughs> My claim to fame is we had uh, four, five and under a year ago. So uh, we've got four, six and under now. So been very, very active. Uh, but yeah, it's um, like you said, little bundles of joy and we love them very much, but the banks uh, don't see it that way. So we yeah. definitely have to do something else.
1: Can I, can I ask you, what, what is it that made you move to Australia? You said the land of opportunity, but 1999, what was the driver the driver?
2: Uh, look, yeah, the parents were in the, in the pork production uh, business, so we, we were over there in New Zealand. And just the, the state of the, the state of the, you know, the economic climate and the pork industry at the time in New Zealand, it was heavily dominated by imports. And, and with rising rising costs, it just wasn't viable. So uh, mm. it was in Australia, and the, and the model was this free range sort of niche model. I could, I could run a masterclass on pork production if you like, but uh, uh, but yeah. So and so essentially, my father. Went straight into that. We always worked there on the weekends, um, and I went away and did my financial statement auditing for four years, and then came back into the, the family business. And I actually didn't realise it until um, actually reflecting on this and, and really looking at the journey. At, at how it was—it was really an apprenticeship um, as to into property development because there's a lot of commonalities between, uh, the, you know, the, the numbers and and the profitability side of running a business, um, and you know that some of the concepts of return on equity and. And just formulating a budget, it's very similar to the property development process. And a lot of the assumptions that apply, like you can have your summary, but then there's assumptions behind the summary. And it's very, it's, it's actually quite similar to, um, to property development.
0: Yeah, super interesting. So um, is that what sparked it for you? Is that what, what was the kind of light bulb moment for property investing? Or was it the PPOR first? What was your, what was your first purchase? And how did you get into that?
2: The first purchase was actually, um, was in 2008. So just at the end of the GFC, as the GFC and all the, the government was handing out all those incentives. So I actually received $36,500 nice. from the government. So uh, to this day, I've never really saved for a, you know, that much for a deposit other than just topping up the first one. So again, the land of opportunity, that's, uh, yeah, Australia has been very kind to me there. And I just, I guess I timed the maximum of that, um, of that applicable grant at the time, and that allowed me to leverage into my first property. Um, and then that. So really did you
0: just... build? Sorry. Did you build your own house? Was that the yes. first one? Yeah. So we, so we
2: built that one there. Yeah. It was
0: just a we little. Got some little photos. To... Oh, do we? Sorry. Oh yeah, we got some photos of it. Do we have photos of it? Yeah, so the, we do. Yeah,
2: definitely.
1: So, we got, so we 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 got go. page, page three, Joe. On page three, of the site.
0: Oh Lord, let's oh, get my... let's get some pictures up. One thing I also wanted to mention is, um, yeah, Tom, we've actually well, I've been following you for a little while with your uh, with your property. Uh, duplex and developments. And um, one thing I don't feel I need to mention to the audience, but this uh, old old Tom works uh, with Steve at Plessey Property as the development uh, property. What's your title? What what would you say it is?
2: Duplex and developments manager. So yes, I've I've gone from fanboy to Steve to employee.
0: (laughs) But this is not a paid promotion whatsoever. I wanted you on Tom for a long time. And um, this has nothing to do with Steve being a sponsor for us, and I, I think that's important because I've seen podcasts and and we, where they bring on people um, who are sponsors just to have an episode. This is not one of those. I, I'm super keen to get you on, so um, yeah, just wanted talk, to make that known.
1: Yeah, talk us talk, talk us through this um, this property that's here.
0: Yeah,
2: so yeah, so look, this one here, the, the numbers weren't that fantastic on this first one, but essentially, uh, yeah, there was some growth after a couple of years. Um, and and then, yeah, the, actually we, we sold this one and then leveraged that into the next property. So this was just a good, uh, yeah, we, we just started the process. understand a little bit about leverage, about the whole process of how to buy a property, sell a property. Um, and then, yeah, so there, there's the numbers on it there. So the land was purchased for 115,000. Um, there, there was a bit of a delayed settlement there. Um, so the land moved a little bit. Um, but, yeah, predominantly most of the profit from that property, yeah, a lot of it was in the, the Home Buyers Grant and a little bit on top. Um, but it, was, it was more that this allowed us to leverage into the next property, and that's where the, the plot really starts to unravel itself.
0: Yeah, what, what were the big takeaways? What were the big learnings for building? Because this is a PPOR, right? Yeah, um, so yeah. there's a lot of emotion tied into it. But what were the big learnings on when you built this thing and went through that whole process of building a house?
2: But yeah, so we, we did this with the family and friend. Um, so they, you know, they were a very reputable builder. It was it actually was, it was like clockwork. That, like This property, it was, uh, it was, it was a dream process. Um, there was no no issues with the build. It was quite sport. The, the following property, there was a couple of issues, and uh, and we could potentially talk about that uh, later as some mm. things I'd structure going forward with um, construction contracts. Um, but yeah, this was a pretty swimmingly process, um, and it it was. Uh, again, we, we sold it PP- as, as a PPOR, so CGT free. Um, so there was some agency nice. commissions, but essentially it was a pretty it was as a transaction, a minimal transaction fee exit, and allowed for the net for the next purchase.
0: Awesome. And is there anything that yeah, just no key, no 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 main takeaways. It was just so smooth. This is the funny thing about when things go incredibly well, you just don't pick things up it's only until they go bad that you really start to learn from them and I imagine that's probably what we're going to hear <laughs> coming soon yeah.
2: look yeah, and, and and the thing was I probably hadn't adopted the investment mindset there potentially it may yeah. have worked um, at that point with no kids it may have worked to just have held that one and extracted the equity out and in hindsight had you had that education had I had that education that's probably what we would have done um mm-hmm. but that wasn't the case um at that point but it, it I guess it provides the path for what happened next. Can oh, I
1: can awesome. I can I ask can I ask as well? So you, you I can see there the the two thousand December two thousand nine was that was that the land the cost of the land I imagine or was that the- yeah that was the
2: cost of the land I think altogether that one I think was a two eighty eight at cost. Um, look, I, I, to be honest, I, I can't exactly, but it was there was there was some profit involved plus the homebuyers uh, regional state and federal grants of thirty six and a half k which contributed to a lot of that equity in there.
1: Because this is in the, uh, so was this still around the, the, uh, the west of Melbourne? Was this kind of the, the Geelong region or which, which part of
2: Melbourne? Yeah, it so, yeah, was, yes, yeah, so the west, western suburbs of Melbourne.
1: Yeah. So, yeah. yeah you probably, probably don't want to look at what it's worth now. I, I, I see yeah. they transferred there for $0, but that was just probably like a, a family transfer or something.
2: Yeah no, yeah, no, look, it's uh, yeah, I had a look the other day. It's actually worth um, 600, but it actually didn't do a whole lot. It's only done, it's, it's only actually performed really well over the last uh, couple of years. It sort of stays stagnant for a long period of time. So there wouldn't have been a whole lot of equity to pull out of that one. And, you know, it's, it's just the way in which it occurred. It came you know, recently.
0: Awesome. Okay, so going into the next one, leverage games for the first property into vacant land, delayed settlement. I want to talk about that and understand what you mean and how you orchestrated that. Growth occurring pre-build, then profit on completion. So we've got... Ooh, is this all the same property? Yeah.
2: Yes, yes. So the what, what, so first is just the, that was the marketing photo that was used um, and then the second was just a bird's eye view um, just to just show. It was a two-acre lot of land um, and it was purchased as basically uh, the, the dream home for myself and my wife. Um, and, yeah, we entered into the land contract and it took quite a while for that land to register but it was only a 5% deposit down on the land and when you look at the numbers on this one uh, the, the numbers are, are very very healthy but oh,
0: we've got numbers but, don't we
2: <laughs> yeah they're just underneath it there um so oh jesus so yeah so, the, so yeah so that looks quite nice the, yeah and but predominantly most of that growth occurred by in, in the actual land appreciation of the land the the, the construction was just was just a part of the the process and you know sometimes Mm. there's a bit of a development like a completion margin on a a new build sometimes two plus two equals five when you do do that um but essentially most of the game was made through um, this this sort of delayed land settlement strategy that's where predominantly the the gains came from
0: okay so just for people that 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 aren't that are still putting the kids to bed and can't hear we've got in we've got a a piece of paper here that says January uh, July 2014 the purchase price was 336,000 and in November 2018 its sale is 1,115,000 so you're going to have to connect some dots here on how you made like eight hundred, eight hundred thousand. like h- how did that how does that work i don't I oh, it
2: wasn't 800 that was just the land uh, contract at 336 so oh okay there. perfect okay and now we're build. talking
0: about building okay
2: yeah and we did the build so all together, was a was approximately 7, 7.17k, so the net profit uh, was 394k on that one. And then it re- and in hindsight now, uh, I started you know, adopting this sort of return on equity, return on equity annualised. Um, started, you know, thinking about those metrics. And, mm. and when you look at that, you know, you start to think, well, look, it's, um, you know, on a 20% loan, uh, or sorry, an 80% loan, 20% deposit, we were able to achieve a really good return on our equity there and also return on equity annualized, so. Um,
0: yeah, so can you talk to what return on equity actually means and what annualized return means as well? Because those are two vastly different numbers.
2: Yep, certainly, yeah. So, so return on equity is also known as your cash on cash return. So if you've got a million dollar property, you've, you've got a 20, 20% deposit, you're putting in 200K, you know, uh, from a pure development sense, you, you, know, you need to factor in all the, all the equity that you've contributed but then you're comparing that against the, the the total development costs um and and looking at you know exactly what that is as a percentage and then annualized is working that on a, on a per annum basis
0: mm. yeah so i guess one of the key takeaways that i get from this is that you you just if you're going into a development deal and if you're looking into development deals um and someone's like oh well look this project gives you a uh, 30% return on capital it's the period of time that you get that done because if they say you get 30% return on capital and it's over 2 years that's a 15% return annualized return on your money so you would actually be better off to go for obviously not financial advice you'd be able to go for something that gives you a 10% return in 6 months because you'd be able to do four of them in 2 years instead of and that would be that would be 10 20 30 40 so you get a 40% return on your capital over that period of time so actually those smaller deals may be a better way to go yeah exactly and
2: and we'll see that in the next example but yeah it just it just it just brings time into the consideration and brings in that whole opportunity cost uh, argument yeah. as well so it's 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 not just yeah like the, the actual return you know, while it's great to look at your, your total development margin on cost we also need to bring in time because you know we might have we all want to have our 20 plus percent development margin on cost but it's going to take if we, even when we've received 30 or 40 percent if it takes three or four years annualized it may not stack up and i guess we can discuss that later on in um some of the the metrics and some of the examples from the feasibility studies but at yeah. this point here i've just done this very high level just to because it was all, a cool. old moment um, just as to how yeah. uh, we started thinking about that way. Yeah, so and
1: I, you, I think I'll, I'll point out um, something I'll point out because this is something when I was looking, because I've done a couple of JVs, and these are the kind of questions that you really, because sometimes you see out there on forums or you see on websites, people throwing out, you know, you get a 50% return. Um, and, and that's, and then and the question you want to ask is, okay, is that a 50% annual return or is that a 50% uh, total project return? Because if, somebody can, if somebody's doing a larger than sort of a duplex development, it's probably more than likely going to take uh, longer than 12 months. It'll take somewhere between, it could take anywhere between 18 to 24 months if you're doing a, a, a four a four pack or a four. Uh, four. So and therefore, if you're doing a, if it's a 50% return uh, based on that, it, then you, then you as, as Tom said, you need to then sort of factor in what is the return on equity annualized and sort of weigh that up and, and, and look at all the risks. Um, I've, I've got a question here, Tom. It's, it's um, yeah. So you said there, um, so you did an 80% LVR, um, so 20%. So you needed to, in order to get the deal across the line, did you have to sort of stump up the extra um, sort of 15% to get to an 80% LVR? Or what, what was the process of that?
2: Yes, look, I, I believe we did that with savings. Look, it, it potentially might have been slightly lower than, I'm just using that as an example, uh, stretching no, my memory do. that one there. But, um, but yeah, look, it was... Yeah, and I guess that's the thing too with the return on equity. It really brings in how you finance it. So ultimately, your finance solution really determines your return on equity. I mean, if you're doing a 90% loan, you could potentially, and again, we can discuss this later when we go yeah, to yeah. the examples, but I guess the, the, the less you're putting, the less equity you're contributing, the higher your return on equity is going to be. And that's when it starts getting interesting uh, later on. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a, certainly a, a highly influenced. The two are intrinsically related, really.
0: So what you bought there, you made 40 grand on this one and you made 400 grand on this one. So you've 10 X your return very quickly in the space of a couple of years. So what, what were the things that happened? Like, how did that, how did that happen? How did you do that? Yeah. So, so um, in in
2: terms of, um, look, look, it was, it was, it was a great time. Obviously it was a great time in the property cycle in Melbourne, but, Predominantly, it was putting that five percent down and just controlling the land without actually paying any, any any interest costs, any holding costs. We just really got into the market at, while the capital appreciation occurred, while we only put a small amount of cash down to control that
0: land, and that's mm. very similar. And how long was that? How long was that period?
2: Oh, look, it was—I believe it was about an eighteen-month period. Um So the, the land was purchased at three thirty-six. Um, you know, as we see the the, the total cost around only seven seventeen, and we sold it for one point one. So um, mm. the, the land appreciated. It was mainly the, the land appreciation and a little bit of completion margin on the end, and and, and I guess the agent doing a good job for us as well. But there were some, you know, I mentioned before, there were a couple of minor issues with that property, and obviously going forward, we we did get a building pest uh, a building inspector in, um, but it, it didn't. We didn't get them until you know well later in the piece. And if we had our time again, we would definitely do it at the slab, at the frame, um, at the, at the mm. lock-up, rather than at practical completion because if, if there's anything wrong structurally with your house, you really need to have those you know, uh, identified amazing. early so you can still do something about it. If, if you've got a problem with if the walls are out of tolerance and there's things wrong, you can't complete it way down the track. So it's great you've, gone, you've got a building inspector, but we did it too late. Uh, again, the builder worked with us and there was a couple of minor issues, but if we had our time again and, it's, and it would definitely engage the building inspector from the start, particularly when you're outlaying that, that much money as well, it's, it's a small cost for just peace of mind and and really ensuring that you can get the quality uh, you know, across the, across all stages and especially the key stages.
0: That's super valuable. So you would just get an inspection done at each key stage just make sure that someone's going in there that is totally subjective to the entire process yep. not the builder yep. saying yep she's right it's someone going yep. in there independent you are paying sure you're paying a little fee but um when you go in there at that point it doesn't cost you anything uh, well, it, sorry it doesn't it, it's going to cost you a lot more later down the line if there is an issue
2: yeah yeah potentially like i mean and, and that's the big ticket stuff that you really want to check off that, to ensure that you know the foundations are correct that the, that the walls are straight and you can't fix that at the end of the build; it's just impossible. And yeah, look, we work with the builder, and we you know we resolved it in the end. But there was a couple of minor issues, there, and it was a, it was a good that was a good light bulb moment to engage that, and particularly going forward for your investment, you definitely always engage a building inspector at those key well, stages just to protect your investment.
1: It's uh, it's interesting you say that because we we had um I, I, there was a there was a post I don't know if you saw this one there was Mario um, a couple of weeks ago Joe there was a person who had they went back to the builder and they'd put up a photo of the wall and he said, and they said it wasn't yeah, straight yeah. And, and people, and, and he actually went back to, apparently he got, got the builder to go back and re, redo the wall. And I was just like, okay. Oh, no, no way. That's, that's, Yeah. Yeah. So they actually. It looked they had straight to win me. Win. It was like,
0: is the dress blue oh, or gold? Yeah, it looked like a.
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah and people, But uh, I thought that was interesting. So is that the kind of thing you're talking about, Tom? If you sort of find that the wall isn't straight, you can sort of, you can have a chat to the builder and say, well, this wall isn't straight. We need to get this corrected, but what can we do about this? Is that sort of an example, uh, Tom?
2: Yeah, definitely. Yeah, just want to identify it as early as possible while it's an easy yeah. fix before it becomes, you know, removing plaster and, uh, you know, it becomes very complicated.
1: Yeah. And wow. Another question I've got awesome. is, I, I, I want to know, um, when you were buying this property, it, it, I believe it was another PPOR, but did you sort of say, okay, did you do, um, did you have some key metrics you looked at and said, okay, this area, um, what, what sort of invest? Did you put your investor cap on and say, uh, or was it purely sort of mostly an emotional purchase? PPOR. It
2: was. It was an emotional purchase, but we did. We did. We did think like we wouldn't purchase it purely on emotion. We did think that the the area was gentrifying. That there was was supported by you know a lot of the fundamentals. It was. It was a little boutique region with sort of two acre lots and one and two acre lots, and a lot of the people out there were higher income earning than in the surrounding suburbs. And and it's still it's still shown to be an outperformer since so. Without really, like, again, I didn't have that mindset at that point, but it was certainly a consideration when we were building out there that we were still, you know, we, we could profit if we ever decided to sell it, and it would perform quite well from a capital growth perspective.
1: Have you looked at what it's worth now, or you don't you don't want to do it?
2: Yes, yeah. yeah, so I have. It's it's, it's, only, it's, it's worth one point three, so it, it oh. hasn't grown that substantially. I mean, just yeah, considering we started one point one, and that was still, um, yeah, four years ago, so. You're almost tied in the go,
0: so- in and bought out at the rest, best time. Yeah, <laughs> yeah buy yeah, exactly. low, sell so high.
2: <laughs> and, and, yes, and and it really, it, I guess it it um it was it laid the foundation for the next opportunity, which you as a buyer's agent would appreciate, Joe. Um, the the, the, the next opportunity that was uh, that, that we we experienced.
0: I love a new opportunity, so let's check this thing out. So, um, it says here uh, if I hit this. Purchased the neighbouring property, moved next door, Ooh. a distressed sale, well under market value, did a bit of a tidy up. I want to, let's talk to this. I mean, it looks not like you could live there. Um, what's going on here? I love here? it. <laughs> I want to buy yeah, one so, now.
2: Yeah, look, to be honest, it, it looked, uh, we, we knew the bones of the, of the property were good. Um, okay. it, it just, it's just it
0: honestly a That's all I see is a field. But now there's a property here. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: So it, it, just needed, um, it just needed to be, you know, like we, we wouldn't have spent any more than five to 10K to clean this one up and prepare it for sale. And you can see in the later, uh, predominantly, so there's, there's a big skip bin uh, and all the weeds that needed to be cleaned up on it. We literally just painted the concrete. Um, we staged it. So we, we engaged a professional stylist to, and obviously the, the real estate was wow. some really nice professional photos. But so we, we really purchased nice. that one for $8.75 and literally seven months later, we sold it for
1: $1.1. Wow.
2: Wow. So, and, and again, that was another a light bulb moment in terms of again that was just a, I guess it was just seizing an opportunity. Um, but yeah, but, but also um, you know taking the opportunity. But we also could see the return on equity and return on equity annualised. It was then we really started to see well this is even though we made less profit than the prior deal, it was over a much shorter time frame and it's a higher return on equity annualised because it was in like a seven month period. We actually just did a security mm-hmm. swap so we just literally i had only had three kids by that stage but we just it was a pretty easy move because it was from just over the fence as you can probably see in the photos um and yeah so you can see that was the, the property just above it that was so we just borrowed yeah when we just moved around the moved next door so it was a pretty smooth pretty swimmingly um move
1: how, how, so how, did, how did that so... oh sorry
0: yeah, why why did you do this? What what kind of got you to the point to say, hey, I can buy next door and sell this one, make money on this one, and then do the like? How did that all? What was the kind of thinking process around this? Because I don't know anyone that's bought next door.
2: <laughs> yeah, look, the, um, the the owner just um, posted on Facebook, and I actually he, he he posted for the price, and I actually rang and said, look, you could receive a lot more from that, but he was he was. It was hell-bent on selling it at that price so um, so we you know we, we said look we'll buy it off you if you're, if you're not going to change your, your mind and that's what you want to sell it for uh, we purchased it from them so um, obviously it wasn't in a great state but uh, to be honest that was a 47 square home and um, we didn't realize the people that purchased that actually um, just as an interesting point they uh, it was only their second purchase and they turned it into a child care center so they actually Steve Polisi would probably appreciate this one. And it's, they've turned it into a commercial purpose now as well. So we thought, gee, they're chipping in 1.1 for a second purchase, but they've actually converted it and turned it into a little cash flow machine. And I believe the, the, I think the owners, he's got trucks and he, he can drive in one side and he can drive out the other side. So it's suitable for a truck driver with a, um, a commercial childcare centre.
0: And that's what the new owners put on it.
2: Yeah, that's what the new owners done. So that it was a forty-seven square home. It was a, you know, it was a pretty quality build. Um, you know, it was below replacement cost, and yeah. So, um, yeah. So they've they've obviously um they utilise it now as a bit of a cash flow machine as well as their PPOR. Yeah. Awesome.
1: Can I can, can we can we take a step back? Did Did I hear you say that that the owner um was selling it? That they they you said the owner look, it's worth more than this, and and they wouldn't they wouldn't take more more money. Well,
2: yeah, look, we just we just I just mentioned like I think yeah you know, so I think you can get more just as a neighbour. And he said no, look, it's that's, that's, that's what him and his um his, his wife um obviously it was a, it was a divorcee sale and that's what they the price they wanted. So um, we just wow. entered into the contract. So yeah, yeah, we just went okay, we'll, we'll buy it.
1: That's, that, okay. that, that's amazing, though, because I, just, I, just, I think that's the thing that we, we underestimate. Not, I'm not to say to go out there and take, take advantage of people's misfortune or, or life situation, but you've got the three Ds. You've got death, divorce, or, or, or distress. Um, and those are the kind of things that if, if somebody needs to, you're solving their problem because you were able to get the deal done. You didn't, have to, you didn't have to have too many challenges, I imagine, so you were able to sort of say, okay, here's the price we're going to pay, and we can get it done. Um, you made it happen.
2: Yeah, I believe it was 850. And then uh, through the courts, I think they raised it to 875, which we were agreeable to. So um, yeah, so it yeah. Went, went like that. So yeah. Yeah,
1: excellent. So, and yeah, but yeah,
2: I guess, and, and it really brought up that yeah, the annualized RO return on equity. It was um it was fantastic on an, on a per annual, annual basis. Um and and then obviously our child was um, accepted into a private school, so we, we're going to do another PPOR. Um, and we bought some land, and it, same thing again. It was it was vacant land uh, in an area that was uh, gentrifying. It was it was tightly held. Um, oh, okay, so it was just, just up a little bit there, Jeff. It was just under the. Um, but essentially, we put eighteen k down, and uh, over a thirteen month period, we 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 sold that one via nomination. Um, this one here. Yeah, it was just underneath it, the land. Um, yeah, that the uh, there you go. That's it. Thirty months later, and again, oh, thought- so we. So yeah, so that was the light bulb moment that we're going. Look, wow. this is where this is where. Is. How can you supercharge this? Like, how can you use this delayed land settlement strategy? Because it doesn't work everywhere. It's not going to work in areas where, um, you know, like just your standard sort of housing estates. You need to it needs to be supported by strong fundamentals. Um, and then and then we thought, how can you supercharge this? And that's where really where duplexes um, were born, where you utilise the highest and best use. It's still a low risk you know, in terms of other, high, you know, higher level developments because you're just doing a one into two, um, it's, it's really not a whole lot more risk than a standard house and land build other than, a, a, you know, a relatively straightforward DA or process. Um, and 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 yeah, and, and that's really where it was, um, that, that's really where it was born from there. Obviously, primarily driven by lending, um, but, and, and yeah, having to do something else, but and then I obviously started. You know, by that point, I was becoming pretty obsessed with the whole property game, reading as many books as I possibly could. I did a property development course, um, and really started getting a feel for um, the feasibility side of things, and really trying to understand the numbers and um, run as many feasibilities as possible, and, and really understand the metrics as to what you know how you put these deals together and the relationship between um, the relationship between the metrics and being able to perform a profitable development deal
0: hundred percent. So can you talk to this one? So you bought the land again. So we're doing purchase vacant land in Geelong again, delayed strategy. So just so we can get this clear is you get the property and you see a piece of land, you see vacant land available and you say, Hey, Mr. Agent or vendor, I'm going to buy this corner block here from you and I'm going to pay you 365,000, but I want an 18 month settlement. Is that, is that kind of how it works?
2: No, so generally the the land settlement set by the developers. So you've, you you've generally got an indicative um, time frame as to when the land will, will register. Um, mm. but yeah, so so we knew this was going to be going to be a fair way out. We didn't know it was going to be over thirteen months, but I think you know it turned out well that we were then able to on sell it by nomination, and it was over the the twelve month period. So from the date we mm-hmm. entered the contract until. The date that we settled on it, um, it was, nice. obviously, we, we put it, we actually didn't buy this one in a trust. We purchased it in my wife's name because she was having many kids at the time, you know, obviously, with all the kids we've been having, so she wasn't, you know, working at that point. So it just made sense to buy it in her name and uh, she, you know, didn't pay much tax on it at all.
0: Yeah, and um, what does nomination, what does that nomination mean? So can you talk oh, about that? That was just where
2: someone else takes over. Again, I don't do this often, but, yeah, this is where someone else takes over the land settlement. So they essentially just, mm-hmm. just just take over what what you would have settled on.
0: So usually that happens in well maybe not usually but it happens when people mess up and they can't get their deposit um, the re- rest of the property purchase right. So some people are doing that in a distress sale. But you saw the opportunity and you're like actually I could get this capital I could uh, buy this. What what did you get the land under contract at? Oh, it's there three hundred sixty five. Yes, and then you sold it to the new person. Um, when their property is going to be built in what, three or six months, like it's going to start the process of building. Um, And they were more eager because they saw it closer to the date and that's how you were allowed to uh, make 50K for doing nothing, (laughs) very little.
2: Yeah, we we had a look at the site. Uh, We we just signed a couple of pieces of paper and um, yeah, the the agent loved it because he received a double commission on it. We never actually met him in person. So he, uh, he did very well at that one as well. (laughs)
0: Yeah, (laughs) bet he loves that. I
1: got a a few. I got a few questions on this one, Um, and I'm sure you'll get asked these quite a lot by by everybody. Um, So the first question. So obviously, we're not giving um, accounting advice and whatnot, but CGT. I imagine there was. Is there CGT payable on that? Probably because you only. Yeah, there
2: there was, but we held it for more than 12 months, so yeah, it was CGT payable. So it discounted was in the wife's name. She wasn't working, so it was. It was a very small amount, so it worked out well for minimising our tax. We could have done it through a trust structure uh, if we were doing a duplex development with, you know, I personally do them in trust structures at the moment. um, It just makes sense. But in this particular scenario, we received the financial advice or the accounting advice and it just made sense to do it that way and not set up the trust.
1: Yeah. The other the other question I got is the um, so was was the plan? I don't know if we. Sorry if I missed this, but was the plan to uh, always to do that, or was it was it sort of uh, halfway no. through?
2: You thought I wasn't. <laughs> yeah, it was. So the, the light bulb moment sort of, it, it, you know, appeared to us as uh, yeah we were we were waiting for the land to register. We were, we were actually getting designs to to be building another sort of a PPOR there, um, but it just and it just it was really you know after more conversations and really expanding the circle and, and actually talking to, um, you know, brokers that deal with you know, investors and not just your local broker. Um, we really under, understand what, you know, the path that we should be taking and that's really where um, the next the next transactions took place and that's really where um, we, we then purchased a commercial property because um, at that stage we still actually were able to get full dock assessment. I know APRA went through and just decimated resi lending but commercial we were still able to receive uh, or obtain it a property by a full dock assessment there, and then later on, then we started, uh, you know, venturing into the duplexes. Mm.
1: So, were, were you Just, doing some rent vesting whilst you, like, how did, I, where did where were you living? Giving you sold, the how did that work?
2: Yeah, yes. Yeah. So, so yeah, we basically, um, yeah, we so we, we did the security swap from one property to another, and then yeah, then we ended up renting in Geelong, and and we've been renting ever since. So. So yeah, so we're, we're basically doing things the other way around. We went out and bought the dream home and everyone thinks you're probably crazy because, you know, a show of man's wealth is his home. But if we were to go down that path, it just it just wouldn't have worked for us. So we needed to extract that equity. Um, and, and that's the thing too, that property we sold for 1.1, 1. 1, we got a valuation on that and the valuation didn't stack up as well. So even if so first of all, we couldn't extract the equity out because their borrowing capacity didn't allow us. And secondly, the valve didn't stack up. And the only way to really realise it was to actually sell it and, 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 and realise those gains. And fortunately, it was PPOR, so CGT free and um, able to pull it out with minimal transaction costs.
0: So when you did the land transfer, did you have to pay capital gains on that? But Or well, as it was a PPOR, it doesn't?
2: No, nah, so we we still had to because we never actually built on it. So again, I have to go back to the um, to the ruling mm-hmm. on that one. But yeah, yeah, we, had yeah, pay, yeah. we had to pay. Uh, capital gains that. tax on, but we held it for thirteen months, so it was over the year and it was a small, yeah, half the, half the amount. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. Yeah, they yeah. Nice. probably
1: the ATO the ATO probably thought, oh, hang on, a minute. you've done this three or four times now in the space of I don't know eighteen months or twenty four months. They were like, oh, are you actually are you sort of using it to? <laughs> yeah, sort of, they probably thought, oh, this this seems a bit of a yeah.
2: I had a chat with the accountant regarding that, and we had justification because the kids were moving school and it was to a different area. Um, so we had uh, we had some formal justification. But I think if we did that all the time, I think yeah. So I think we raised some red flags, and it would definitely uh, be seen as a profit uh, you know, enterprise. But uh, yeah, what wasn't the case in this this example? Yeah, let's talk about <laughs> the
1: light bulb, Joe. Should we get to the light bulb?
0: I thought I don't right? know how many light bulbs this place is lit by light bulbs. Um, how many more? How many <laughs> light bulbs have you got going off, mate? This is. Uh... This is very interesting. So, what are we going to talk to now is commercial. So, you've been doing duplex develop. You've been doing developments, and you bought your PPI, you sold your PPR because you thought, you know what, I actually can't continue my journey without having uh, having that. Now you're going duplexes, and that's been working really well. And then you're like, you know what, actually, I want to look at commercial. Like, how did that? How did that come about? Well,
2: the, the, the commercial came first. Um, so yes, obviously, there's just the passive income. Um, yeah, the passive income element to it was really attractive, and again, still the ability to still you know to still get the lend when we couldn't get 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 that in the residential space. You know, with, with three kids at that point, it just made ah, sense. So, so okay. yeah, so yeah.
0: So, so yeah, a number a number of the people that I deal with, like some of the more high net worth individuals, get to a position where not even high net worth, just people that have large assets and large portfolios. Um, they get to a point where they can't borrow any more money because the banks have totally tapped them out. You can go to a first tier, second tier, third tier. They will get to a point where you can't borrow any more money. And that's what you're kind of saying is you were able to go into, you got tapped out, but you were then able to leverage some of the equity that you've built in your portfolio to go into the commercial space. Yes, exactly. Um, What allows you to do that?
2: Because obviously we had that that we, we, we rolled over the equity from each of those PPORs. There was enough equity to to, to make you know a, a decent commercial purchase, and yep. that's really what my strategy is going forward. Fortunately, um, mm-hmm. you know, I work I work underneath Steve, who knows a thing or two about commercial, so he's an absolute good yeah. in this space.
0: So. You, you started working with Steve just to get a discount on him finding your <laughs> commercial property, it seems. <laughs> um, but what does that mean, Jeff? Like Jeff, you being an old broker. Um, how does that work? Like, how are you able? You can't borrow residential, but all of a sudden you can borrow commercial. What's that? What's that called? Well, I,
1: I, I yeah, full full disclosure. I'm, I'm I'm talking from a theoretical perspective because I never, as a broker, we didn't do too many. Um, we didn't do too many commercial. It wasn't back in, back when I was commercial was only just starting becoming becoming vogue. So, but what um, what you probably did was 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 it a lease off loan Tom, or was that was that the way it works? No, so you no. had to,
2: no, no, i hadn't I didn't have to do a lease stock my, my parents did did a lease stock loan uh, okay for once they sold their, their, their share of their business um mm-hmm. and yeah but I, I just did a full doc assessment I just had i did have to put in i believe the LVR might have been 65 to seventy percent yeah um, yeah so just, so
1: the way the way that one worked is they would have they would have looked at it and said well okay um they would have it Would have gone to a lender that 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 mm-hmm. uh, understood the deal and sort of said okay we well whilst there may not necessarily be as much serviceability if if you come up to this lVR um, so you might have struggled to get a seventy or an eighty percent lVR and and it was potentially maybe a uh, specialist a pro- specialist commercial lender or if it was or it could have gone through to the commercial arm um, of, of a bank say. Yeah, one of, say one of the big four, they have commercial rather than retail. I mean, I suppose it makes sense, commercial property. But um, yeah, the, the, there are um, exceptions there if you can come up with enough of a deposit. But yeah, so yeah.
0: Yeah, it's uh, super interesting. Yeah, it's super interesting that you feel like you get tapped out. And this is what you did. Again, you you didn't just sit, sit on your hands and say, oh, I'm tapped out. I'm tapped out. Cool. How do I go about doing it? Well, there's this thing called commercial. So you got into this property here so this was your first commercial venture was it yeah 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 and, and, place. no no, that's no, no, the no one it's
2: one just just a, just a warehouse um yep. but yeah it's it's the numbers on it are pretty pretty impressive and particularly from a, a passive income standpoint obviously the yields have compressed a little bit since then but yet the interest rates have dropped um but yeah obviously from a passive income standpoint you know offered 715 purchase um, you're still getting, you know, more than you know, 10%, 13%, 14% on, on your cash and then you're getting leveraged leverage growth as well. So it's, um, for, for us, again, form part of the light bulb, bulb moment. If we can, you know, buy a few of these, um, you know, they're not far off financial freedom in reality.
0: Mm. Um, and when you but, say leverage uh, growth, what do you mean? What does that mean?
2: So, so yes, so obviously you're putting down, you know, your you deposit for it, so... Um, we're receiving a net. I think yeah, I have to run the numbers on this one, but I believe the net um, income was yeah 35k. Yes, and, uh, yeah, and you know, yeah, we, we were put in. Um, I believe it was around 300, yeah, you know, just under short of 300, might be 280k for the deposit. So we're getting you know 13 13% on on our cash or equity invested plus growth on on that as well at leverage. So you know if it's going up by um, four or five percent a year on our equity that we contributed. Um,
0: obviously that's um, that's your leverage growth. Mm. Love it. You know, you put in, uh, well, and also actually a good point is that equity that you've just got, because you had equity in your house, right? Because all you're doing is moving equity from your PPOR that you've accumulated from doing these transactions into a commercial property. But that equity that you've got sitting in your PPOR is not really doing anything. So all of a sudden you've turned that, Three hundred thousand dollars worth of equity in your home into a passive income of thirty five thousand. You've turned it into a a uh, a uh, uh, what's the yes income producing asset, which is you're just converting you're converting equity into cash. Exactly.
2: Like, I, I look at it as like buying yourself a wage. I think I've written there. So it definitely, okay. um, yeah. Yeah, and and that's and that's really like sort of going forward. That's really where my strategy is. Like I want to. Complete as many duplex projects as possible, and then roll the roll the profits over and, and buy more commercial. I love commercial property, so that they so ha- complement each other.
0: Yeah. So how do they? T- how does that work? So can you talk to um, the way you think about duplexes and the way you think about commercial? So yeah.
2: Yeah. Look, I, I look at I look at the the commercial just as, as my passive income, but the the duplexes as the active. So. Um, it's going to be quite hard for us to hold them uh, just given our serviceability requirements. So we have to do private lens. Um, and so therefore it's, it's short-term profit to make the gains, lump sum equity, equity gains, and then convert that into the commercial.
0: <laughs> oh, it's that easy. <laughs> but it is. But it is that easy. Like all you're doing is just, I love it. You just take your duplex, you buy this piece of land, you put a house on it, you make a lump sum of 80 grand, you do that, well, let's say 100 grand, you do that three times and then you can afford to buy a income producing $40,000 that
2: and, commercial and is, Yeah, and like high level here, this is where our strategy will be. We'll buy the, we'll buy the dream home, but it'll be once we've built the portfolio and, and then there's enough passive income to, to basically finance the, the home and we can, we can do it that way. So that's, you know, again, are working back to front. We, we, we've gone and bought the dream home first, sold it, and then we'll get, we'll get back to it at the end. Um, but yeah, <laughs> you're uh, you
1: reverse reverse the delayed gratification, which is probably uh advanced credit minor. Yeah, I don't know if that works yeah, but, um, yeah. but yeah it's, it's interesting uh, interesting approach to the the, the the way you're sort of taking and I, I think we, we we need to get into the the, uh, the free deals in in four years because that's what we sort of build and that's what we promise so shall, shall we get into it, Joe
2: or should we start? Yeah, excellent. Well, would you want me to talk about just that that duplex lot there um yeah yeah. So yeah. Again, Again, that was that was the settlement strategies. that one, there was only twenty thousand down, uh, stamp duty, fourteen thousand. So total cash down thirty-four k. Um, again, and it was stage two of a six-stage release. Um, again, supported by all the you know, the right fundamentals, and that yeah, area was gentrifying. Good, good income earning demographic. Um, you know, good, good infrastructure spends uh, you know, in the surrounding area. But essentially, that property. You know, that vacant land is now worth 680 to 700. So if you look at return on equity, um, it's actually increased 260 to 280. So essentially, that that duplex deal has really been de-risked um, because of that land growth. And that's the way I approach a lot of these as well. It's essentially de-risked because we've had the there've been multiple stage releases, and essentially, you know, the developer-controlled price increases have have taken effect. So we've only we've only put down 34k. We've controlled a parcel of land. That was worth 420. That's now worth um, 680 to 700. Um, And yeah, and essentially, you know, we've we've only put down that 34k. So it's definitely that delayed, you know, that that, um, delayed settlement strategy and 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 working in with the 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 developer control price increases. So the way that works is developers never they they never drop their prices. They only ever go sideways or up. But if there's enough demand in the area, they can justify putting each stage prices up enough. So, so this doesn't work anywhere. Like I mentioned before, you've got to do it in those. We're targeting the real east coast, uh, sort of more coastal regions of New South Wales, um, on the cusp of gentrification, um, and where there's where there's high demand and, and there's scarcity. Um, and and if you do see a combination of those factors, so, so, you know, also supported by a high income earning demographic, you'll see the, the each stage release increase uh, substantially from from the last, and that's what we saw here. So
0: how did you? Pick this place. Like, what are some of the things that our audience can look out for to be able to find an opportunity like this? Yes. Is that,
1: uh, is that, a, oh, secret I was gonna say, Yeah, I was going to yeah. say, what, what would you need? Yeah. Have, tell Eleven, us what you can, Tom.
0: 11 herbs and spices, please. Well, this one's actually,
2: um, yeah, this one's a, a little higher. So, obviously, it's a, no flood risk. Um, it's it's yeah, close to the coast, um, supported by... Um, Yeah, and and the surrounding suburbs, it's really that ripple effect taking place. So, um, yeah, the surrounding suburbs are far substantially higher than this Um, and and you can definitely see some gentrification occurring in the area um, and supported by, you know, a high demand. The land land sales were selling fast um, and and there was justification, you know, from from stage one to stage two. I would love to have got into stage one. I didn't. I was in stage two on this one. Um, but there's six stages, and, and obviously, yeah, there's a lot of growth from stage two to stage three.
0: It's a lot of growth. <laughs> so, what stage not- are we at now with them?
2: I believe it, it might. Be, I think that one's at stage five. Um, still, one more, one more stage uh, to, to go.
0: I thought this might actually be a good question to bring up now. Um, Crystal just wrote: Have you ever been hit with the sunset clause from one of these duplex lots? Because that could pose a bit of a risk.
2: Yeah, I, I raised that, and, and it is they they released some um, some legislation in New South Wales Thank to because sure. the, the developers were rug pulling uh, purchases uh, some time yeah. ago, but they introduced new legislation to prevent that from happening. So essentially, people like I'm doing right now would finance it, and then they would just purposely let the the sunset clause lapse, and then they would then they would take that's the land awesome you know, at a higher value, and then then go and on and sell it.
0: Resell it. That's
2: that, wow. that's not applicable anymore. Um, it's, I believe it, it's just not applicable because of the new legislation. So that's where you can get safeguarded yeah, um and yeah, they recognise that was happening, and it's not not allowable anymore.
1: But uh, if okay. you're doing it in a different state, always uh, refer to yeah. the relevant state legislation because um, I don't no, I don't yeah. know necessarily about Victoria or Queensland or. Yeah, I WA feel like
0: Tasmania like... doesn't have that just yet. Um, so yeah, they might. Okay, um, I
1: don't know, conveyance yeah,
0: so... yeah, chat to. The relevant people,
1: So
2: up- but, but for, for me personally, I don't mind. Uh, sometimes it depends on you know the timing of subsequent projects, but I don't mind when there's um, a bit of a delay in the settlement if it's a rising market. Um, you're not putting yeah. any, I'm not any interest, no holding costs. I literally put down my initial deposit, I paid the stamp duty payable within three months. You don't actually mm-hmm. have to pay that in New South Wales, you can leave it and just incur, um, you know, a small, you know, small interest component and pay that later. But I generally just like to pay land, then stamp duty, and then just and sit on them. And it just depends on yeah. when you're like to, you know, complete your project. As And we can then, I then look at, you know, as to when uh, the type of land that we buy in terms of uh, land registration terms.
0: Yeah. It's the same with um, negatively geared properties. So I, I have a client that was buying a property that another, the vendor wanted as an extended settlement of, of 60 days. And we're like, well, actually, let, so two months, right? Actually, let's just take it to, you know, 180, let's just keep pushing the, the settlement date as far back as possible because this property is negatively geared in the way that they're buying it with the amount of debt that they have and the amount of income that's going to be coming in. So we just extended it out as far as we could go. And it felt like we were doing the vendor a favor. We were doing like a win-win. But for us, it's fantastic because they're not getting that negatively geared you know, portion until it settles, so they don't have to pay any of the rent. It's all paid by the vendor, and the vendor doesn't care because they don't have a mortgage on it because they've held it for, you know, fifty years. Um, so you yeah. can do that similar kind of delayed gratification, delayed strategy on um, PPORs. Uh, sorry, a residential normal house by delaying that yeah. settlement. Yeah, yeah. yeah. excellent. Yeah, you'd have to you have, so to, you have, run, good... you'd
1: have to run that body. Sort of, oh, it sounds like you're getting a bit tricky, a bit too cute with that purchase.
0: <laughs> a bit too cute with that. No, the other people oh, oh, have yeah. to build a house. So they're like, uh, sorry, renovate a house. So they're like, well, we'll just extend it out. We're like, yeah, but you probably need, they're like, oh, it might take too long. It might be too long, might be too short. Great. Let's just push it as far as we think we need and then you're okay. Yep. Uh, but yes, we're can definitely going
1: to Can I ask the elephant in the room question? Am I allowed to do that, Tom?
0: Is there, Is an, there an elephant owl? in the room? So, well, well,
1: the, the, if I'm in the audience here right now, and I'm, I'm thinking to myself because yes, you've seen. Uh, show us those numbers again, Joe. Show me, show me that land. Uh, me
0: that. Okay, okay. Because okay.
1: what I'm thinking is we've seen one of the biggest booms that's in Australian property history. So, yeah. so what I'm saying yes. is, what I, the, my question is, um, what, what what happens when the market starts to cool and and when, uh, like, I mean, what obviously you need to build that in. But yeah, what are your thoughts on that um, in terms of this yeah, kind is, of because.
2: It, certainly. Look, it can be, it's just got to be very selective um, in, in, in the area. It's not going to work everywhere. Um, but there just needs to be that scarcity factor. And what you need to do is get in early. So a stage one of a multi-stage release, the developers are always going to put their prices up. It's just a matter of how much. And that's going to depend on the demand of the area. But if you can get in early enough and take advantage of developer control price increases, or you can potentially get a, you, know, you can get a, a distress sale where someone purchased early, um, they're selling uh, close to registration because they, they can't finance for whatever reason. They're not gonna sell it at the same rate that the current market rate is, but you know, they're still gonna receive a small profit and we can, but we can purchase it you know, significantly under market value. So those ones make sense, but in answering your question, yeah, it, it's, it, it can still be a very, it still works very well with the developer control price increases if you buy early enough because they only go sideways or upwards and if there's demand there even in a downturn market um the, the land can still go upwards
0: yeah if there's the pressure there it's like it's just like any market and especially during this time i'm very interested to see what's going to happen to some of the purchases that people are making around australia because they're not going to keep up with it so that's why you need to have the fundamentals like Tom's talking about. You need to be having good infrastructure going in. You need to be having a demographic that can actually afford the property that you're going to be buying in. But not not all property, not all of these deals are going to be skyrocketing. But if you're buying where people want to live, there is going to be a pent-up demand for that little region. And if there is not enough supply on the market, and that's one of the things I imagine you look at, Tom, is like where is the land coming from and how long is that coming to yeah, this location, I, yeah.
2: exactly. We're looking at you know, future releases. We're looking at obviously heavily driven by vacancy rates, and we—that's why we like these lifestyle areas. In this post-COVID world, there's is, is exodus to affordable lifestyle that everyone's taking advantage of. So we're definitely, mm. um, yeah, we, we're certainly seeing, uh, they're, they're relatively affordable in, in comparison to you know someone that's you know wants a sea change from Sydney and they've got cashed up deep pockets and.
0: They go and purchase in these in these you know, East Coast um, areas. So, um, what what are your plans with this one? You bought it for four twenty. It's now worth six eighty. You can do um, whatever you want with it. What what's coming next? I just I, do, I just saving. brought up a question
1: because I think that'll that will that will be uh,
0: uh, a question. If you've that seen is, that so much uplift much in the land value, <laughs> is it still yeah. worth going through the duplex build considering the time, the interest costs, the build risk? That's a great question. Yeah, Yes. User. It's like
1: you read Joe's. It's like you read Joe's mind. Joe's I actually asked typed question.
0: it
2: out. And and it that's yeah. Out. I mean that, that's a valid question. And on its merits alone, it still stacks up. I could sell this here and be very happy. Um, yeah. I Obviously, want to hold it for more than twelve months and, and get tax on half the game. But highest and best use of this site is to still perform build because uh, the numbers are still are still very favorable to, to complete a duplex build on it albeit you know, even even with some um, you know some slightly higher building costs and going back to the inflation uh, argument before that i went a little bit blank on it doesn't happen in yeah. isolation so um so yeah I, I believe we'll still in this particular market we're still going to see some um some you know, for future price growth particularly as there's still i think one or two stages left um and then the numbers yeah highest and best use of the land is, is still of the site is still to complete uh, a duplex through to completion.
0: Yeah. That's one thing I wanted to ask is your thoughts on the building costs increasing. Um, What, what, there you go. What is your thoughts? What are your thoughts on it going up?
2: Yeah, look, I guess it just means that you look, there's certain, (laughs) there's certain things we can do in terms of structuring uh, the, the, the construction loan so that, that you know, like we can throw on. We can actually put can include a lot of the total development costs in the building construction loans. So you can potentially reduce your return on equity, but um, sorry, increase your return on equity and reduce your developer's contribution margin because essentially you can, you know, for instance, the DA costs. Um, you can get a turnkey like a, a turnkey um, build with it, you know, rather than trying to complete a lot of the, um, you know, the final like doing your lawns, doing your fencing. Uh, doing your blinds um, separate and paying for that in cash, you can throw that onto the the, the build contract and therefore um, you know, finance that and and reduce your uh, developer's equity contribution and therefore increase your return on equity. Um, and and again, it just means you've just got to be very selective in the area that, that you decide to um, invest in. I like I like looking at the residual value of the land calculation because that one really gives. You know, that's when you've applied all your conservative assumptions. And you've allowed for the fact that the building costs are increasing. You've accounted for that, and you only proceed if the deal still stacks up. So it's really. What's
0: what's residual? What what did you say? Residual land value.
2: uh, Yes, residual value of the land. So that's essentially once you've built in your, once you know what your target risk margin or your development margin is, whether you want fifteen or twenty percent, and you also this is if you go into a site to purchase a site, it's great to know this at the start because you've already got the upper hand in negotiation. And it can really be the difference between accepting or rejecting a deal because you've already factored in, based on the assumptions that you've already applied, you've factored in all the costs. Uh, You already know what the residual value of the land should be. So so essentially, it forces you to not overpay for a site Mm. because you've already reverse engineered what it's actually worth based on, uh, obviously, that you've got to place some assumptions on future growth of the area. But again, be conservative. Don't think, hope for the best. Be very, very conservative. So when when you apply that calculation, the, the residual value of the land still has to stack up when accounting for you know we, we build in a, a contingency uh, buffer into your build to to ensure that you know like I mean, what have they gone up by like 10% uh, in the last year? Um, you, you know, you might have to factor that again. And 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 if the deal still stacks up, then you can proceed. Uh, there's no point just uh, you know. You're putting your head in the sand and knowing that building prices aren't going up. You need to account for it.
1: Okay, I've got so many questions here. It's just, uh, it's we could go on for two, or three hours, or three, or four hours. To where are we going to go on for two? But um, but for, first question, um, how do, you, how do, you, what factors do you look at residual uh, land value? Like, how do you, how do, you, what assumptions do you make on that? Yes, so
2: essentially, see, I've got it in my feasibility calculator. So once you've applied, obviously, you need to have it, I understand, on the gross realizable value of the end end value, and and, and that needs to be conservative. And then basically, you've applied all your costings, and then it's reverse engineering. You're basically deducting that uh, risk margin after applying all your assumptions and then seeing what the land should be worth when factoring in, when when taking into consideration what your risk margin is. So we'll see that in some of the
0: calculators. I can see why you and Steve get along. (laughs) (laughs) You sound like engineers. Um,
1: The the, the, the second question I had is with with your build contracts at the moment, um, I I don't know how, when the last one may have been a couple of days ago, but are you looking at... as much as you can, try to do fixed price build contracts, or yes, because, yes, you know, yeah. definitely.
2: You, you want to do fixed price, but some builders, are, you know, obviously, won't allow that until closer to the construction commencement. Yeah. So, you, if, you I'm, a, if to... I'm a
1: builder, I'm not allowing you to do a. If I'm not building this for six months, there's no way I'm signing a fixed price. I want to do cost plus because my 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 inflation could yeah. So, how are you kind of how are you dancing that with developer? What do you have? How are you having that conversation?
2: Yes, it definitely Yes, so, so obviously we're just, you know, again, just trying to, um, and, and again, we, we can, you can, you can let the build cost flow out. It's been really about selective about where to spend on the build as well. Like going back to some of those previous examples, they were light bulb moments too. Like that one that was sold for 1.1, 1. 1, that wasn't actually an overly expensive build in comparison to the surrounding properties. It was more of a bare minimum build that was presented well. That was on Great Land, and, and and so there's no need. like I was looking at some markets recently where, you know, they a really high end property duplex sold for one point four five, but the cost on that would have been, and and and, and, a, and a, an inferior property would have been one. I think it sold for one point three two. Exact same market, two uh, a month and a half apart. But the, the 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 high. If I was a if I was a, a purchaser, not a you know not a developer trying to sell it, I would be buying the the one for the, the, the double story. But essentially that market. You know, it, it was where you know, the, the one point three two was where the market was at. So there was only a differential of a hundred thousand on the total uh, sales price, but there was probably 500, 600, five hundred, six hundred, three or four hundred k on the the build price. So it's about wow. to find that sweet spot between um, that sweet spot between you know what does the market need and not overcapitalising. We're not going to live in this forever. We we just want to build a quality build that meets what the, the product, what the what the market wants, whether it be three or four bedroom, low set, high set depends if they look at the demographic the demographic demographic of the area if they you know if they're retirees they probably want their side access for the caravans um, and a low set but if they're younger families and you you know you've got a smaller land parcel you can go a double story but yeah, it really comes mm-hmm. down to just find that sweet spot between what inclusions you really need to spend and I've typically found you don't really want to overdo it unless that market requires that but if you can really just yeah, you know, spec it to as minimum as possible, that would still achieve the result that you require.
0: Mm. Um One of the things uh, I just exchanged on a contract today um, with, for, for, um, for one of our clients and th- they said, Hey, I'm going to be on this live tonight and I'm super pumped about it. I can't wait to ask Tom a question. I'm like, yeah, we'll jump, jump in, you know, type it on the little thing. He's like, no, 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 we don't, we don't ask questions. We just, we're just the purveyor. We just watch over. So, I said I would ask the question. So the question is, it's a 700 square meter block that can be split into three. So you can put, so it's a place now, it's got a house at the front. You knock it down in 10 years time and you can put three properties on it because we looked at the zoning of the property and it was telling us that um, it was zoned this way that would allow three, but everyone else probably thought it was a two. So we were able to secure it, blah, blah, blah. Um, But what are your thoughts on putting... You know, we the highest and best use is allowing us to put three, but should we put two because we can make a two larger houses, or should we just put three because three is what we can fit onto it? So, are yeah. there situations, maybe not other yeah. situations, but what are your thoughts on that kind of? Yeah, go turn this into a coaching know. call.
2: No, that no, definitely. That's that, there's lots of permutations and combinations yeah. you need to run in order to establish that, bit. You really need to have a sound understanding of the market, know what the con- yes. consumer wants, and then you just play around with the feasibility as to what derives the highest um, profit margin at the end, and that will determine the highest and best use. So just because you can do yeah. three, it may not be the best Doesn't use. In some sure. cases, it may be that the highest and best use is just a luxury single story. I mean, it just depends on, on you know, what the market wants.
0: Exactly like this situation. Here, this 1,000, 1. 1.5-acre block could have 20 houses in it but that's not the highest and best use of what the demographic in that area are looking for because your multimillion dollar friends that bought the, you know, that bought this place to turn it into a childcare center wouldn't be able to use that. And they wouldn't be interested in it. So it's finding yeah, what is actually the highest and best use of that land. Yeah, love exactly. It. Great, have great answer. Myself, I think you said it actually. I just copied you. <laughs> well, but I love that. Okay, cool. Um, uh, so what, what are the plans for this? You're putting a duplex on it. Um, you're going to go ahead with the build because it's going to be giving you a better return. Um, and now I've got... A ch- actually, we should actually just jump in. Before we jump into this, yeah, let's jump into, already
1: uh, thing, yeah.
0: jump into our sponsor, and uh, then we'll cover off. We've got some really interesting stuff here that we're talking about, the different stages of projects, I believe. So we'll get a little bit nerdy nerdy onto this one and explore what these mean. And um, dive straight in after this. So let's do Excellent. that. This live session is sponsored by Scott Agat from Hello House. Scott has created the world's first property negotiation as a service business. So what does that mean? Well, let's think about it. When was the last time you negotiated on anything over $100, let alone a property that is going to be one of the biggest investments of your life? The vendor, they have a trained negotiator on their side in the form of a real estate agent. That's kind of like you stepping into the ring with Mike Tyson after never training a day of boxing in your life. These guys are trained professionals and that's what they do day in and day out and this is what hella house does every single day as well they negotiate on property to get the best buy price from the real estate agents scott agate he's the expert negotiator he has been in this industry since 1995. he owned and operated three bell franchises Scott was the guy that was teaching these real estate agents all these agent games he knows all of their tricks having him on your side is going to give you a massive unfair advantage and literally save you tens of thousands of dollars unlike other ways of purchasing property scott's incentives are aligned with you the buyer meaning the more money he saves you the more money he makes which is what you want you need to have those incentives aligned Scott has kindly offered our group a massive discount on the retainer fee for his service. So if you're looking to buy your next home or investment property, click the link below to get in touch. Why am I so big? (laughs) Why am I so big? What's going on? Um, okay, uh, before we dive into that, I have a question here that I was interested in as well. Lovely Crystal Jones is back on it. Great work, great question. What particular ca- characteristics do you look for when buying land? Have you got like a minimum square meterage, north facing, et cetera?
2: Yeah, look, it, it generally um it'll be determined by the you know, respective zoning and what's allowable in, in the area. But if you know we want to have as large frontage as possible, like that one that I was looking at before, we're referring to before is actually got a 22 meter frontage. It's a 686 lot um, and a 30, 30 meters deep. So it's quite easy to, you know, the, the duplex will be quite aesthetically pleasing on it. Um, you can do them, you know, on as small as a sort of 16, 17 frontage, but you, got, you have to do a double story and you have to play with designs on one of those ones. So essentially, you want the, the frontages wide enough so that um, so you can fit. Obviously, you're going side by side duplex joined by a common wall. So yeah, the
0: the frontage is very important yeah super important like well that's actually a really secret weapon i guess is understanding what the zoning is um so whatever state you're in the state zoning um is is written well it'll be in the like just that's google stupid. state zoning it'll be yeah and then you've got to go into the council as well so there's there is state overlay and then there's council overlay as well. So it really gets quite, quite complex, but understanding whatever area that you're looking in totally need to understand the zoning because like in Adelaide, for instance, they've got um, general residential, which will allow you to put a house on uh, like knock a house down as long as it's got 300 meters for each new lot and an 18 meter frontage. But if you go for the next one, which is next, uh, now that we're live i don't forgot what the name is it's like general neighborhood or no no it's not general neighborhood anyway it allows you to put it's a word um it allows you to put 150 150 square meter land so cut it up like that and a six meter frontage so you can get an 18 meter lot with three units on it so you really have to understand the difference between that because that house isn't really as value. the house is exactly the same value to an owner occupier it's Six hundred fifty thousand, but to a developer all of a sudden it jumps up the price um and it's more valuable for you in the long term so if you just buy a house hold it as the development potential in the future but the only way you're going to be able to do that is to look at the zoning and understand the zoning for your area talking about the frontages and the minimum lot size like you're talking to yeah yeah 100
2: percent and a lot of the time, you know, the, the, the developers will let me know what's possible so that they're pretty pretty um, savvy what's going on and which lots are specific duplex lots. What we can find too sometimes is there might be a lot that wasn't allocated for a duplex, but it's permissible under the scheme and sometimes uh, it's priced the same as a, as a single detached dwellings lot, lot. And they can be little gems yeah. for creating uplift as well. You just get a bit more creative yeah. with the double story and you can, mm. you know, crack create a higher margin because um, you're naturally
0: you're already ahead with the it hasn't been priced in. Yeah, and it also works in the reverse as well. If you don't understand your zoning, there was a, another person that just bought a corner block on 700 and odd square metres and you can't fit three houses on it, but he paid a three-house price. He paid $926,000 for it when he should have really just paid $700,000 for it. Um, so really the value of understanding your zone zoning is so crucial. Um, yeah. What's yep. this? Okay. What do I, what, let's, what, let's what get into it. At?
1: Let's get Cause we promised free in, free in four years. Let's, let's get
2: into the crux. It's, that, it's that, it just got a little bit distorted there, guys. I'm not sure what's happened. We might just want to push the legend down a little bit and drag the, again, it's conceptual. So if you push the, um. Uh, no, that's no, that's no, no, that's all right. We'll go back
0: to oh, well, um, project one not started yet, so it's like a Gantt chart essentially,
2: yeah. So, essentially, that yeah, that the red's the land registration, and the blue is the, there. We go, um, it just we just need to extend that, um, yeah, the blue, the blue out longer, elongate that, and and start the yep. red a bit earlier, yeah, 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 we can get the concept, okay, yeah. um.
0: Uh, pretty much like that to, you don't it's, you don't start the new you don't start the new one until you start it until you finish the old one
2: yeah it's essentially so um so basically again it, you can apply this in any way it depends on where you are and what your, your, your current equity contribution you know, what position is um and you know like this one here though it's just you know just a hypothetical example you do project one um it's it's three months I'm just gonna have a look down here. So essentially you acquire the land in months zero, nine and 19, um, and we've allowed for, it's just a little bit distorted there guys, but that's fine. Um, so it's, it's a difference between the land registration and then the building being complete. So that we want to ensure that we can, we can actually already have some projects at play while the first project has been is still under commencement. So we can use the delayed settlement strategy, for instance, on project two, just not actually not long after we've already purchased project one and then we want to ensure that the land registration is favourable that it, it is we're not cutting ourselves too fine and it, and it goes out further than the build or the construction on uh, c- completion on project one so essentially we've got staggered delayed registration terms on the land we've only put five percent deposits down uh, while, whilst we're doing it in the area supported by all the correct fundamentals, developer control that price increases are the playing their effect. So essentially, we've got capital growth occurring while we've only put minimum deposit down. And once, once we complete each project, we then can roll those funds over to complete the following project. <laughs> okay uh, so it just it just was a little bit it's all a little bit um distorted. I mean, it, it makes
0: sense it makes sense to me right you finish you start a project it doesn't finish yet and it allows you to be able to go into your next project and you're only putting minimal capital in um at yeah. any one time essentially um,
2: yeah
0: yeah so you're not you don't have to put in all this money straight away. And also it allows you to keep rolling it on over and you've got a bit of momentum to jump into the next one and the next one and the next one.
2: Essentially, it's what I currently do. Um, and, and you're not then paying a premium for the land and waiting, you can buy, acquire it early, providing that you have a sufficient uh, cash position to, to purchase that in the first place. So if you're gonna do this, you really need to know the developer's equity contribution on the first build. You need to know, and you need to ensure that you've got enough capital to, to purchase uh, the second and third deposit. So you, you really need that at the start to, and, and also a buffer on top to ensure that you can complete it.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You need to make sure that if it does go over that you've actually got your buffers in place to be able to control that.
2: Yep. Certainly. And
0: yeah. yeah. So talk talk,
1: talk us uh, through, uh, yeah. through the numbers because you said you need some capital. How much capital would you need to execute? Well, yeah. Like there's a couple of different ways you can do it. So
2: talk, talk yeah, us through how it all works. Look- yeah, look, so I've got, again, you just put down the minimum deposit, but then when it actually comes to completing the bill, I think we can go down there onto the slide. Um, if we do an 80% lend on this particular example, um, uh, it's a little bit higher. There we go. That's it. So on this one, it's an 80% LBR, so it's a standard resi lend. I've just applied you know, 2.5% interest rates just for illustrative purposes. We're expecting a gross realizable value on this one of 1.7 mil. Um, But essentially, down here in the summary section, that's where um, that's the summary of the the results after you've put in all your costings and your assumptions. And and essentially, it's the developer's equity contribution. So that is primarily determined by the finance. And in this case, we're doing an 80% LVR loan. And, and in, in this particular example, uh, we'd need to put in 332K to complete this one. However, I, mm. th- th- that was just for illustrative purposes. We can potentially do some more creative things by putting the DA costs under the, the bill contract and finance that. But as a, as a ballpark rule, you need, for this particular example, you needed 332K to complete. Um, and, and the, the profit margin, because the land had gone up by so much, answering uh, the members' question before, regarding should you still complete the duplex project. Well, There was only 260 to 280 on the land purchase, but if we see it through to completion, um, we, we've got a forecast of 472 um, net profit. That's after factoring in all interest holding costs under construction while land is uh, still uh, pre-construction. Um, I haven't included this as a sale. I haven't included agency fees. I haven't applied any GST because in this particular example, we're just assuming holding. Um, but the cash-on-cash cash return on this one, as we can see, we've we've contributed 332 um, and of a total profit of 472, we've got 142% cash-on-cash cash return and I just did this one over, it's going to be 12 months. So you can see the annualised cash-on-cash return is 142% as well. So this is a standard lend. Uh, this isn't really the space I play in, but it, this is just to show you what's possible if you're a complete, a standard lend. Um, the, the, the next example is if we actually do a lend on the end value. I'm sorry, before we do that, these are the sensitivity analysis. So this is assuming uh, once we've applied that, um, those numbers, if you look at the middle figure, that's zero percent. Uh, that's, that's, that's where we're at, at. That's where we're at. So we, we can then start using this as a macro tool to say, okay, where do we think, what's going on with the market? What's going on with building costs? Where do we see this happening? Uh, what's happening here, and, and it can give us a really good idea if you know price moves favorably on the build, but un, or unfavorably, um, or also favorably on the on the end the gross realizable value, and you can start getting a feel as to where this may end up. This particular um, this particular project could potentially see the the cost, even though we've factored in a contingency buffer, the cost could potentially go onto the left hand side but we still expect to see some upward price there. So it would be, um, it's, it's, quite, it's quite likely that we will see an increase from the 400, 472 even with some build uh, in- increase in construction costs.
0: This is a bit of a what-if analysis. If something goes down, development yeah. Costs, yeah. costs more than I expected, like yeah. that, that's great. Because yep. the, you know, welcome to the real world. Things are going to go development profit. You might actually do really well and, and get an extra five percent here, but you might lose ten percent here. What would that look like? What would happen if exactly. costs blow out? Yep. So you're not too scared about development building costs going up and those type of things because you've already factored in. If building costs go up ten percent, I'm making a hundred and you know to three hundred and two grand. So that is twenty eight percent ROI, and um, I'm happy with that. That's a lot. Exactly. I don't, exactly. Don't trust those numbers. But, yeah, if you factor in, like this is what I like about developers is they're absolutely pumped. They, they're, they're like, okay, cool. Well, whatever you throw at me, I've, I've, it's a win-win-win. Whatever way it goes, um, you've got to cover your downside. I was listening to a, a podcast about uh, Alexander the Great, and one of the things that he was saying in some of his notes was, I don't really focus on winning. I focus on I obsess over losing. What, does it, what yeah. are the downside risks and how do I mitigate those things? And everything else is just upside, but I want to focus on the downside so I can get the most um, realised value. So you're, I've compared you to Alexander the Great, so uh, <laughs> not a bad comparison. Very flattering, very, very uh-huh. flattering. Very flattering.
2: <laughs> um, so, so, yeah, and, and that example you were just scrolling through then that is on – so, again, if we just go back to the, the summary table – there's a real yes, you can really look at the, the uh, just a bit higher. sorry, Joe. you can yes, see the relationship between these metrics. This is what I really want to assess. So you can look at the, the the total profit and then see that okay, the development marginal cost is high. but that's not the only factor here. We obviously want to look at the timing of it, like we mentioned before, to ensure that mm-hmm. it's going to give us a good annualized cash on cash return. and then the cash on cash return, is really determined by the way in which we finance it. So, in this particular example, at the developer's equity contribution was three hundred and thirty-two on an eighty percent LVR um, loan, and and the residual value of the land. I've built in a fifteen percent development margin here. We could update the twenty percent, but at fifteen percent, we could have afforded to pay six hundred eighty-four for that land, but we only paid four twenty for it. So that's to give you a feel mm. based on. When, when when working backwards when reverse engineering we can see that 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 this they stacked up. that we could have still received the fifteen percent development margin on cost while paying six eighty four for that land. That's what it's telling us there.
0: Perfect. So that's how you work out how much to actually pay for this land. So when you go to the real estate agent, this is a fantastic negotiation tool because if this number doesn't stack up here to what his buying cost is and you can only you say I can only make six hundred thousand dollars here. How does this work? Only. Um, uh, here we here's a great question that's just popped up. Um, maybe we don't have an example, but can you talk? We, to we you? do. That was the next. Oh, example. We do. Yeah. Oh yes, my so we lord!
2: So we've got that private so there's, lending. Yeah, there's different ways in which you can do this, and this is a, like the last resort option. But with a, with a mm. father of five kids, this is where I play. But you can also um, do a lend on the total development cost at, like, say, 65 percent. It's easier to get, but. In this particular example, we're doing a 70% lend on the gross realizable value. Now, again, this one here, uh, I've I've used the 1.7, the same gross realizable value in terms of the profit. But just to be conservative, we've just applied the 1.6 in terms of the bank, what what the banks would um, value at, just to be very conservative. And as you can see, even though we've foregone about 66k in profit due to the increase, we're comparing two and a half percent with seven and a half percent interest. And a loan establishment fee of two and a half percent. The the developer's equity contribution in this particular example, because we've had so much uplift, and if you, you know your times are one point seven or one point six by 0.7, you actually we can actually receive a higher loan because it's being de-risked, and therefore our developer's equity contribution in this example would only be one hundred and seventy-two, and our cash-on-cash cash return has increased because we're putting less less cash into less cash or equity into the deal. Or you know, albeit having a small um, a smaller profit, but for, for me it's 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 the it's either do nothing or do something. So this is the do something mm. option. Yes, you've got to forego some profit, but you can still do something. And again, this is like a, yeah. a last resort. But if you if you've got a profitable a deal that's that stacks up, it's feasible. This this is a very valid option.
1: What are the um <laughs> what are, what are the permutations around? Um, because obviously they they would want to see. Um, yeah, we're a private lender. There's there's a tiring straight charge for a start. But what, what's what sort of condition? What other conditions do they want to see to um, so they're satisfied with the? Because there's a reason you're going private private funding. So do they want to see yeah. a track record? Do they want to see um, yeah. yeah what
2: yeah. yeah they they want to see yeah, the detailed feasibility. They want to see the build and concept plans. And yeah, they you know ideally a track record. But essentially, if if the feasibility stacks up and the deal stacks up, will be judged on its merits. And assist, and, and they'll they'll provide finance based on that.
1: Yeah, that's it. That's a, as that. that's, a, that's, a, that's a that's a great interest rate though for private funding. Like, is that? I mean, maybe seven and a half percent. You can get seven and a half. percent well, no, no, I mean, I've, I've seen ones. I've seen ones that. I mean, I've seen private funders that will charge anywhere between ten to fifteen percent, and that's yeah, mm-hmm. a, seven and a half yeah. percent is
2: pretty good. Yeah, and, and again, even if you, even in this particular example, you could apply ten percent, um, and you, you probably erode some of your more of your profit. But again, it's that argument of do something or do nothing. You're going to potentially pay yeah. another hundred k of, of lose of profit, but it still means you can move forward and complete a deal when you wouldn't have been able to otherwise.
0: Yeah, what's the, otherwise? Uh, You've just got your equity sat there doing doing nothing. Yeah,
2: and and if you <laughs> if you look at the return on equity, because you're putting in in this particular example, putting in less. Of uh, a developer's contribution uh, margin, you're still actually uh, your actual return on equity ends up being better, albeit losing some profit uh, you know, t- profit margin.
1: What's the? Um, I've, I've got a question that a lot of you see in a lot of particularly development forums. People sort of look at profit on cost or. Um, they, they sort of say 20% is the, is the, is the gross magic number. Do, do you have a, have a set number that if it goes below that, you say you walk away, so it's not enough, not enough profit in the deal to the potential risk or you don't look at it that way?
2: Yeah, look, I, I, I always want to ensure there's a, you know, a minimum of 20% development margin on cost. And then it just a term that, you know, comes down to how you finance it. Um, but essentially, I wouldn't just look at a deal and go, okay. The, the return on equity is really high, but if you still need to ensure it's a, it's a myriad of all the factors. You can't just look at that and go, I can get a really good lend here, but if the, if the margin's only 10 to 15%, there's opportunity there for that to go wrong. So there still needs to be the margin. You still need to factor in yeah, the, the, the way in which you seek the funding and then also bring into account the annualised rate of return on, on your equity so, and, and the time of the project. So it's a, it's a combination of, of all of them. I mean, those key metrics, um, you know, from what I understand, all, all the big developers basically use those key metrics. but And combined with the residual value of the land, um, there's some, of, some common, commonly used metrics.
0: Super interesting. Yeah, it's one of, um, that's what you always hear floated around. So do you get to the deal at 20% and then you work your finances out after that? Or do you get to the deal with your finances at 20%?
2: Yeah, so, so as long as as long as they, they, it stacks up at twenty percent, um, and again with a lot of these uh, projects, we've got time to sort the finance as well. Like you've got um, if you've got a delayed settlement strategy, and you've got months, you know, yeah. if you've got eighteen months, as long as if you're putting a, a, you know, a deposit down on a property, and you've got a fourteen-day finance clause, if you can't compete, you're going to lose it, and then someone else is going to to, to take that opportunity. Um, you're basically going unconditional on these. You know, so your, your, your total risk on the land is just your development as your, as your deposit. But essentially, um, yeah, so obviously you can work backwards and, and reverse engineer it that way.
0: Mm. Because that deal doesn't care about how you're getting finance, right? Like the deal doesn't care. It's the deal going to be worth the deal. Like, it doesn't matter how yeah. you're getting financed. It's like when people are negotiating with real estate agents and then people are like, oh, I don't, I can't afford that property. It's like, well, it's not the property the market, for you then the market, because you haven't got the money. The, the, market, market decides market
1: the market doesn't care how much you can afford. It's, uh, it all comes down to well, what the market's willing to pay.
2: And and certainly if you and if you know it's got that much profitability, you can be resourceful. Like if you, there's hundreds of lenders out there, you'll find a solution. If you have got all that time, you'll you'll find a solution. I mean, there's there's so many different ways in which you can do it. You open up a can of worms as to how many different ways you can do it. But um, that's just one way. Lend on the end. There's so many different ways in which you can seek finance. If you have got the time, I bet you can just be entrepreneurial and creative, and, and you'll, you'll you'll find a way.
1: We um we, we did have a question on recommendations of private lenders, but we won't necessarily get you to name um, your your contacts or sources because that um I mean, you can if you want to. But um the question that I think I'd love to ask is what what are some of the things you look at when 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 considering private funding? Is it um is it the type of security they want? Is it the what what are the key things you look at?
2: Yeah, so I mean whoever's going to lend me the money, <laughs> whoever can get the deal done. I mean, essentially, uh, yeah. I given given where I'm at with the, with the five kids, um, it's just whoever can get the deal done, and providing that the, the funding solution pr- gives me the metrics that I require, uh, move move forward.
0: Yeah, it's easy as that. You just make you just break things down these horribly complex worlds that feel so scary for people. But you're just like, well i need the money i can get a deal that makes more sense so if whoever can fund it fund it get it done so what are some of the pros of using this strategy um and there's some of the cons i'm interested as well like what what kind of factors into this as an overall
2: yes certainly look obviously with unregistered land i mean you've got to talk about the risk the risk is that if whatever reason you can't um you 've got you know the, the land takes slightly longer than what you anticipate let's say you buy it and you assume that the registrations only four or five months away but it ends up blowing down a little bit longer Your personal circumstances could change uh, and you may need to you know you may be approved for finance but then you know it might might take five or six months and then that may that may change your ability to seek that type of finance again so that's um, that's a potential risk um, and yeah, I mean, I guess that would be the, the main risk. Uh, we mentioned that the sunset clause, but that can be mitigated. And essentially, we want to ensure that we get it all checked out legally um, before we enter the, the contract. So generally, when you, you, know, you buy the land, you can, you've got a day or two hold on it before you go unconditional, because you're waiving the right for finance, just going unconditional on it. Um, so you've got, you've got the ability to check out the contract um, and really ensure that the zoning is correct. You can put a duplex on it. Uh, or whatever you know you want to do based on the highest and best use that it's permissible under yes. the planning scheme. Uh, you've got you've got that you know, couple of day due diligence period just to um, to dot your I's and cross the T's.
0: So when you say going unconditional, so can you talk to that? Because that's not something people generally think of. They still think they have the finance clause or?
2: or... No, I mean, no. So, so with, with with these, yeah, you're going, you're, you're waiving the right for finance. So you're purchasing the land and going unconditional. So you're putting your 5% deposit down, but for whatever reason, if you weren't able to, to obtain finance at land registration, that would be your maximum risk. You would, you would lose your deposit. So, yeah. Uh, Potenti- potentially,
1: yeah, I, I just because it depends on the contract. Of course, yeah, I just want to because mm-hmm. if, if they could end up selling it for, for more than that, they potentially could go after you for the difference in, in, in how much they could sell it for or, yeah, if it's in the
0: contract. For, yeah, but
2: that's the thing I always like as an absolute outlaw and I don't want to go down this path, but look, as we can see, some of these land deals, you can make substantial profit just by selling the land. So that's always a potential option. If for whatever reason, worst case scenario, you know, something unforeseen happened, you could always, uh, you know, if you buy in the right area and you've done it, you've done, you've done your I's and you've crossed cross your T's and you've bought for fundamentals, there should be some land growth. Therefore, you should, should see great profit. Um, and you can still get on your five percent. You're still going to be getting a high return on your equity as an absolute worst case uh, as an exit.
1: I, I like the, the thing you've you've continuously uh, mentioned over and over again is is or alluded to is exit strategy. I, th- I think that uh, although we haven't specifically called uh, you probably mentioned it once or twice, that's that's the thing that when you're doing a development is you have to absolutely have multiple exit strategies in case your situation changes. In case um, I mean in case you end up having a, having a pregnancy in, in and having another kid in that um, sort of 6 or 12 or 18 months or whatever it is. So I think that's 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 one thing that um, you sort of have impressed upon, having that sort of thinking about and looking at the numbers and sort of saying, does it still suck up if I do this? Um, so I think that's, that's very powerful. Yeah,
2: yeah definitely. And I mean, how does yes, it? With, um, with, sorry, Joe, with duplexes, there is a plethora of exit options. You can pretend, depending on your, your situation, you can hold both. Sell one um, or, or, or sell both. I mean, it just depends yeah. on, and, and it really you're combining the active with passive strategies, and you can potentially use both to your exam to your advantage because you still, you know, you still need to be buying even though you're looking for short-term profit. You still want to be buying areas supported by a good fundamentals so that should you want to hold it in the long term, it's still going to perform well.
0: So, um, actually, a good question is um, like for just basic basics. What is a what is a duplex, and is it on two separate titles, or is it on one title, and why is it structured the way it's structured?
2: Yeah, so you can basically have a Torrens title, which uh, it depends on which is permissible under the planning scheme and how you seek uh, how, how you seek it. But yeah, the Torrens is ideal; that's the one that's worth the most value because it's a, a true separate title. as with where the strata, there's some yeah, uh, you know, there's some joint costs, as you would see in the community community. Uh, yeah, you know, managed schemes. There's there's some shared costs. So ideally, you want to go for the, the Torrens. They're still still separate ownership, but there's some shared strata costs costs on a strata duplex.
1: It's getting cold.
0: Yeah. Getting cold. <laughs> um. Okay. And and the why would we want to put. So why would a duplex be on one title? Is because there's not enough land for us to split. There's not the rules don't allow us to split it down the middle and have two separate properties.
2: Yeah, like you see that a lot in the Morton Bay in, in, in Queensland. There's a lot of duplexes that are they're just pure cash flow duplexes. So they're, they're they're just on the one title, one set of rates. There are some benefits for it, but you're not going to see the the capital appreciation because you know they they it's a yeah you know, they're on the one title.
0: Mm. And I guess the reason for that is that only investors... Well, actually, I actually think that these things are going to grow a little bit more as properties become unaffordable in those type of locations. Like Morton Bay is a great example for that. People yeah. want to live in Brisbane and then they're getting pushed out into Morton Bay and the people in Morton Bay that are getting a little bit more expensive are starting to push out to there. So if you're a you know first home buyer, you buy a duplex on one title, um, you can... I'm pretty sure you can rent out the second bedroom, like the other duplex pocket and be able to rent that and then own that. And then someone's paying your mortgage while you um, own the property. So I think there's, I think they're going to get a bit more popular, but those are the type of flexibilities. But the challenge with that, like, um, is that only investors, generally speaking, are going to want one of those assets and the investors make up 20% of the market, not 80% of the market, like owner occupier. So you want to, you know, bring on that owner occupier appeal Rather than that investor appeal, yeah, exactly, um, exactly. And how does it work with stamp duty on these type of properties? Like when you're going through this process, is it more expensive or less expensive? Like how's that work?
2: Yeah, so obviously, just um, just on the on the land. So on the um, so nothing on the build. So just purely on the land. Oh, so yeah, so no
0: stamp duty on the build. So yeah. you bought the land for three hundred thousand. You sell it for seven hundred thousand. You're not you're not Paying stamp duty on the 700,000, you're paying it on the, the 300.
2: Yeah, yeah. So that's yeah, it's, it's one, one of the benefits the of the duplexes. And, and going back to you before, too, saying there's a demand for them, I like to talk to the agents in the area, too, to find out what's actually going around. Like, I look at the, like, usually in, in the estate, the agent or the selling agent or you know, the land sales um, you know, or the developer, they've got an idea of what product is going in the area. So if, if you know that there's, you know, there's, High-end dwellings going around you, and you can do your duplex like we costed one up the other day. Where I know that the that the cost of the area at cost, they're doing single dwelling builds, and so that your duplex is going to be surrounded by one point one to one point two at cost, which will then retail for more. And we can we can do a duplex for seven fifty a side. Um, so there's going to be that upwards pressure. So it's, it's going back to your due diligence as, uh, you know, as well. It's it's good to talk to the, the local agent to find out what's actually what the the people that have currently purchased this unregistered land are actually, what their intentions are and what they're planning on building in the area.
0: Yeah. Yeah, going back to like our discussion about uh, our friends in uh, buying that development site, what's the highest and best use of the land and what is the product yeah. that people actually want to be buying yeah. at that? Mm. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, this just sounds... Now I know that you're in this world, and just like anything, um, but it sounds very difficult to be able to find one of these sites because this is what Jeff and I say all the time: just don't buy. Well, I'll speak for myself: don't buy house and land packages. But this is exactly what you, we've gotten you on for, and yeah, now you're yeah, telling yeah. everyone buy house and land packages. Um, <laughs> you you well, mentioned Adam. it before, and yeah, we've gotten a, a, a wolf in our <laughs> a box in our Ten house.
2: <laughs> Look, I, I know your position on house and land packages and mine is, is probably uh, very similar, but th- this is different because we're targeting more lifestyle locations and we're not, We're not. you know, obviously we're, we're going, we're turning wholesale and then we're going to sell the end product retail. So, um, yes. and, and the fact that we're buying, in, you know, we're not doing it in just, you know, large land estates where there's this very small land component you put in an oversized dwelling, selling the sort of dream that way. We, you know, it, it's really that, mindset of wholesale to retail so um we're not Mm -hmm. i don't like to think we're we're the wolf in that regard
0: no 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 not at all i didn't mean it like that um one one thing that you're telling me there is that you buy the infill locations the locations that are that is you know someone has a large 1.5 acres on a block and they're chopping that up and creating a land there rather than the ones on the outskirts where there's just more land supply. So you're actually just building in the areas where it's already a lot of demand. There's already people wanting to live there. And then you can get to those small little developments and jump on in early. And if there's enough demographic and demand, you can go get that and do yeah, those exactly. deals.
2: And and the end product we're actually building in a lot of these lifestyle locations, the land component, you know, a are of them is 700, uh, 686, 800 lots. So you've actually left that, oh, wow. you know, high 300 or 400 lots so it's not like it's a tiny little unlivable you know it's it's quite aesthetically it. pleasing and you can really you know design them so they can look pretty cool.
1: You got some you got mm. some backyard you're not you're not just um you're not just uh, you got enough more than enough room to swing several cats not just one cat
2: um plenty or... plenty of room for the kids kids
1: um before we get to the questions I know there's gonna be probably heaps of questions so start throwing your questions in because we're getting we're in our fifty so I, I want to ask you, you keep you, you. I picked up several times you mentioned maybe even more than several. You mentioned lifestyle locations. So, I'm in my mind, I'm thinking suddenly this is this is starting to get expensive. You got five, six hundred, maybe seven, eight hundred thousand for the land. Maybe I don't know. Um, if somebody were budget of two to three to four hundred thousand, is it still would you sort of say it's it's better off? not we're giving people advice to do this or not, but is it possible to achieve a, a, a profitable development on a, say a three or 400 K um, purchase price of land, or would you just suggest that somebody saves or increase their income?
2: Absolutely. Obviously it was a lot more attainable uh, a year ago, but there's still, you just got to pick your right markets. And again, you just mm. look at those areas on the cusp of gentrification, with, you know, and that's where your research and high level analytics will help you out there. But it's Mm -hmm. it's it's definitely still possible, but it's more attainable in the slightly higher brackets. Um, Yeah, yeah, like like a lot of them. Like we picked up some that are five hundred meters from the coast, Um, and yeah, like we're really looking at total development costs for some of them are high high one point threes, and the land yeah like land purchase was between five and six hundred thousand. So it's it's horses for courses, but there's definitely opportunities everywhere. It's just really. Um, You're just at that high level and then drilling down and then working out, you know, on the cusp of gentrification, look at the surrounding suburbs, look at the income earning demographic of that um, suburb I've mentioned and see if there's propensity for growth.
0: Yeah. It sounds like a lot of work. Um, And also not just that, but being able to find the developers that that are actually good, like that are actually going to have the right the right steps yeah. and stages that are gonna allow the property price to grow. Um, yeah. I can see why people would use your type of service because you've already got those locations in mind. You've already got it there and you're all just jumped right in. And this is why I say never buy a house and land. And I know people can make money in the house and land space. Absolutely you can. But as a first time, second time investor, just remove all the stuff off that is a big risk that you don't know how you can make money. Um, like, that, you know, you can make money, but 99% of the time, what you're doing, Tom, is you're the 1% picker that is going out there and just picking in all the 1% out there. But if you're tr- thinking of going out there and doing this yourself, it's, it's, it doesn't, it can end very badly. And this is why I just say, look, take it all off your plate to begin with. And then when you get better at Finding opportunities and working with people, you can then start to pick those one percenters. But it's not—it's definitely not a strategy to start out with, unless you have someone like Tom that can help you through those type of type of stages. What Um, I'd I'd,
1: I'd actually say though, Joe, I'd I'd put—they're different strategies. So you got the house and land, which is buying them products, and what Tom does essentially—he's a developer, so he—he's a person selling those properties to the to the retail buyers. So. So he's he's a- actually
0: yeah sorry yeah that's that's a massive yeah <laughs> bit of a difference but though. no massive yeah. difference yeah you're being the you're being the retailer buying wholesale selling retail um yeah, yeah. rather than sort of buying the end product off of a developer that's already built the thing yeah
2: but yeah but like, I mean just to give you a bit of a feel there was one that we picked up and it was I literally cleared my sh- schedule there was a twelve o'clock priority order system and there was. 50. I know there was 50 plus people trying to get 10 lots, and I was lucky enough to get one of the one of the 10 lots. And and so areas like that, you know, even and that was where we saw it wasn't the example that we used it was actually a higher end uh, price point, but the the growth was even further than that. But so it's really trying to understand too, like how much demand is there, and it just as you know, rule of thumb. I mean, that was yeah you know, 50 people trying to secure 10 lots, and they missed out, and they're already lined up. Now they'll be ready for the next release. So. There's situations mm. like that where you can really you know you can look at all the you know the, the fundamentals and all the high level but just as a real you know you, know, you, you could use that test as well to go look at the, the supply and that the demand in that area is is, is insatiable and it doesn't look like it's changing
1: is there is there, is there a sign where that you'd sort of say okay this this area there's the, the supply and demand is sort of shifted to a more a, de- a balanced um. And you sort of just move on to another area. What are the sort of couple of things you look at for that?
2: Yeah, definitely. You look at the speed in which the land releases sell, and yep. and and the, and the price increases from subsequent uh, land releases. So they could be yep. moving really fast, and then they sort of hit that price point, that max, that, you know, that optimum point, and then you can sort of see, um, you know, exactly where where demand is at. So mm. it's, it's a good good gauge, just a high level gauge. Mm. gauge.
0: That's awesome. That's an awesome indicator um okay great um let's jump into some questions we
1: already got one we got one lined up so this uh let's see this is adrian so he said um do you have many clients that just roll and resell land two to four plots a year for profit many people
2: yeah, so that do that. we have some people that do that um it just it's all, all horses for courses but um how many yeah, so it's, it's definitely a viable strategy. If you don't want to, if you don't want to, um, you know, actually, well, how am I reading this? It's saying how many clients? So, he said, so oh, don't,
0: don't answer how many clients you have that do it, but he's saying, do you have clients that just do this? Like go buy one in six months and then go buy another one in six months and then go buy another one and just kind of oh, go no, with so, the process.
2: No, no. So generally they're, they're, they're seeing them through to completion, but it's, it's definitely possible. I mean, it's definitely a plausible strategy. But uh, no, yeah. at the moment, we're generally seeing people, if they're going to come on board, they're going to go through and complete their construction process. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's not what to that's say just... clients that don't do, you know, it's just straight land development as well. Um, you know, mm. they're, they are concerned about some of the building risks and that they're just happy just to do a straight land development.
0: And it's generally what you see as well. People want to get their feet wet first and then start to, once they're like, okay, I fully understand this process. Because you can read all the books in the world, but if you don't take the actual action and get involved. It's only when you've got hundred grand on the line, when you really start to educate yourself and know what the steps are, once you're comfortable with that, then yeah, you can start to roll it, get, start using some more, more of these advanced strategies, I think. Yeah. 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 Um, okay. Cool. 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 Well, let's have a look. Um, Jeff, do you want to look for, uh, anyone? Throw any questions in that you have any development questions that you do have, in uh, in purchasing land, in subdividing, in duplexes, in development. Like, this there has was, been awesome. To...
1: There was one about, uh, you mentioned this, this is a while ago, but you mentioned buying through trust. You purchase your duplexes. I think it depends on the person, but I mean, what, what sort of yeah, considerations? Yeah.
2: Well, look, look, for me personally, uh, the trust makes sense with the ability to distribute uh, between my wife and then obviously with the dependents. But uh, the, the trust, uh, again, seek professional accounting advice, but the, the trust um, makes sense because you can still claim the CGT exemption through a company you can't. Um, you know, but again, it all comes down to your intent. So whatever you want to do, it all comes down to the intent. But, but think about the company is more trading. Uh, so if you were flipping it uh, for short-term profit, then you can just, you'll be uh, applicable to the 25% company rate. But when you're looking at this type scenario, where you're looking at a capital gain, um the, you want to use a trust so you can access the, the the 50% CGT exemption after 12 months.
0: Yeah, which is a massive exactly flexibility to distribute.
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah. Super careful with that. Um, yeah, I love it. Um, can can I can I use any of my SMSF money for any of these developments? Um, generally speaking, do you see many people using SMSFs for these type of developments?
2: Um, it's it's definitely possible. Yes, it's definitely possible. And, um it just gotta be very, yeah, obviously just very selective in the type of development we do. But um it's yeah, definitely possible to do an SMSF, uh, a development through your SMSF.
0: Mm. Yeah, you also gotta factor in like the, the interest rate on an SMSF is a lot more. It's like one point five percent more interest on top of whatever the other interest rate is. Um you've got a lot more accounting fees involved as well. But if you can get act if you've got a big chunk of cash there and you wanna use it, then Oh, yeah, goes back to that. Mountain.
2: Yeah, that return. Yeah, yeah, all the numbers, all the metrics. If they still stack up mm-hmm. and it meets the meets someone's goals, um, certainly doable. But yeah, you're right. The, the interest rates aren't quite as attractive as outside of outside of SMSF.
1: Yeah, I, mm. I think if I'm if I'm a lender, so I, I know the the appetite for SMSF lending had sort of scaled back quite a bit. So, I mean, of course, you could always look at private uh, private funding with that. But um, yeah, there's. Yeah, there's a myriad of questions you need to to sort through to to make sure you're a eligible and B you can actually find a funder who's comfortable to um, to go through an yeah. SMSF. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I think there's some. Um, look, we're at two hours. There's still a lot of people. You, Tom, told you I'd be here. This
0: is it. Is it Adrian is Nick? Who is it? It's one of them. Whoever whoever, oh, okay.
1: whoever it is, it's probably it's got to be Nick but whoever it is he uh he needs to figure out if he's at if Nick's at uni and he uh he needs to, to Good needs to see
2: you to mate fix, love
1: fix up, it fix up fix up oh, his spelling
0: <laughs> No okay and then he had Hearing. Yeah. Hearing. Then Here, that was the go, next comment. Go.
2: Excellent
0: <laughs> uh, Sorry Uh so um Yeah, man, this has been this has been eye opening. It makes it it kind of expands out your mind about what's actually possible. And I love that you've started in this process. I feel like you kind of just stumbled into it by getting told no, getting rejected by the banks, getting everyone to tell you no, this is not possible. And you're like, oh, cool, okay, you know, you've got sliding door moments. Am I just going to accept that reality, or am I going to actually go out there and see what's possible? Um, And you've just kept going on and on and on. So the goal is just Buy the, do these duplexes and then purchase commercial property for that cash flow. Build up that asset base enough, and then be able to go into that cash flow again. I love it.
2: And and eventually buy the PPOR and uh, and don't have to continue rent investing. That would be the uh, that's the that's the long term the long term plan. <laughs>
0: make make the missus happy. Give her a, yeah, yeah. give her the PPOR. But yeah, the it. PPOR that you'd be able to buy would be so much nicer than the one that you originally had would they just stuck you there
2: yeah yeah exactly um and and it would be be obviously on a lower lvr and and probably less you know less stress as well so
1: what's the um what what sort of time frame have you set yourself the uh the the big goal you got a vision board as to when you're going to do it
2: Uh look there's there's no rush it'll it'll, when it happens it happens um we're just looking forward to just yeah completing more deals and um and yeah look when 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 it's when it makes sense it might be deal dependent um but when it makes sense we'll we'll know
1: oh, yeah it's, it's certainly
2: certainly on the cards and again that gives us exposure to like always want to have a diversified portfolio and uh, not don't have any have any resi buy and hold but i guess if you go out and buy an expensive ppor then you've got some exposure into the resi buy and hold and you, you know you're yeah. more diversified as well
1: yeah awesome yeah somebody said yeah crystal said such an interesting strategy thanks for sharing yeah it, no, it is um it's potentially very i'm not potentially if, if structured correctly sort of done correctly can can really sort of accelerate i mean I'm, i've seen the i've seen the potential and the the power you can do it's it's just around making sure that you are ticking all those boxes dotting all your eyes as well to make sure that um yeah it's here we go. Oh, shared equity. Okay, I don't I don't know if we want to if we have opinions about
0: this. Opinion on Labor's shared equity scheme and how that might affect house prices. Go. That's interesting.
2: I like your thoughts on that one, Joe, about the subsection of the market and it will basically potentially create a little a little mini boom in that sort of five to six hundred k bracket. I, I Yeah. I
1: haven't listened to the podcast you did with Todd yet on that one because you did a potty with Toddy, didn't you? I, I
0: did do a potty with Toddy. I did also did a potty with Toddy on um uh, what yields mean, what a 2% yield means, what a 5% yield is, what a 7%, seven percent, 7.5% yield is and what that Coming means in dollar terms Coming soon. Uh, but, yeah, the Shed Equity scheme, it's super interesting because it'll it, – it, and it's different states as well. Every state has a different range. So it's going to affect some states more than the others. But yeah, I definitely see if we've got ten thousand people um, that are within a particular range buying a particular asset, that obviously that automatically have access to forty percent more capital. You tell me what's going to happen. Like if the demand is still is there, and this is what inflation is, right? Inflation is everyone, two people wanting to buy the same asset that these two people now have more capital but they still, there's only one asset there. So that is going to drive the value of that asset up. Um, So it's just basic supply and demand. Um, So if they get more people into that, yeah, that's my thoughts on that. You didn't ask Yeah, the the,
1: the (laughs) interesting thing thing, though that may not have been considered is, uh, and and this is all about how quickly they can get them out of the ground is, if if there's extra supply come on the market for that, does it actually not increase prices? because if if you're because obviously a builder says hey look now I can now I can build because if they if they go and get more supply to come on the market and there's only 10,000 slots, what happens to what happens and they build I don't know 15 or 20,000 how do, does that then maybe maybe yeah so yeah. I don't know I just, do, you fulfill,
0: never... do, do you fulfill the supply but we've still got 2 years before they all get built right so there's a yeah. there's a window of time where they go and once things are built and people are living in their houses they don't necessarily yeah. just. It doesn't just like oh we've we've reached the supply and demand equilibrium. People are willing to. If you've just mm. built a house for seven hundred thousand dollars, you're not going to automatically sell it for four hundred thousand dollars because the market. You're just going to hold on to your house. Um, yeah. Some people do have to leave their house, but you're going to hold on to it if you just built your dream home. So, um, it's yeah. going to be a, a period of time where there is a gap. It's and it's, again talking about inflation. If inflation grew in every single way hundred percent it wouldn't matter because everything wages um, goods and services everything would be at that rate but it's the time lag that is the opportunity
1: yeah well, got excited but there does it revert to the mean though that's it
0: anyway that's um
1: that's a quick here we go this is um well this is probably the last question we'll throw over this is almost a lot can you submit development application while the land is in the midst of registration I, I no no. no, no, no. So you can what, what get is... your
2: ducks in a row. Um, you can get your ducks in a row and get your um, and get it prepared. But it's, you've got to wait until land registration. I, actually, one thing I want to touch on too, I probably didn't raise earlier, is um, you know the, the ability to do a CDC, a, a complying development checklist. And so that's a, basically a combination of the planning and the built and the occupancy purpose permit at once, as opposed to doing a separate DA. Um, it's it can be done by a private certifier, and you can just speed the whole process up. Essentially, it it increases your return on equity because again, the annualized rate of return, it can decrease the time that takes to complete your project. So, you've got to, there's some, it's got to be for the straightforward ones. There's got to be criteria that needs to be met. Your private certifier and your builder can work, you can work with them closely to to determine that. But it's a, it's, if you can avoid the the, the council and just do, and that's a great thing with a duplex, you can just do a CDC and decrease your timeframes from potentially six months or more. Yeah, you know, who knows with DA sometimes, uh,
1: 10 to weeks just a couple of months.
2: DC. So, yeah, the, the, the compliant development checklist.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's fantastic. I mean, it's only for New... They only have CDC, um, like the, the specific thing Wales. called CDC in New South Wales. Um, yep. How much... So what you're saying is you're trading money because you have to pay a private certifier to give you all of this um, yep. for costs. So like sorry for time. So you're trading money yeah. for time in this situation. Like, how much yes. more does it? How much does it cost generally for a CDC? Yeah, it's
2: it's, it's very it's very similar. So for the the, the the private certifier, you're still achieving the same result, but it's just done through a yeah. different avenue. So it's it's much the yeah. much. It's just done faster. Takes the um. Yeah.
0: It
1: has to meet certain criteria in that particular yeah. location or council. It
0: has to be a clear cut case for development. Like sometimes yeah. a corner block you buy you look at a corner block and you think oh this is perfect for cdc but actually the corner block has a chip out of the corner that makes it straight so it'll go corner boom and then all of a sudden it's not a complying development and you have to then think you're getting a cdc but then it goes through the development which then drags out the time so this is why you want to speak with actually great question who do you speak with so i've just found this block of land um, and I wanna know the stuff and things that you can put onto it, but I don't, what, what do I do? What do I actually yeah. do?
2: Like a fast way is to go to the builder and, and find out the certifier they use and just talk directly to the certifier. A lot of the time the builder will, will help you out. Um, you can obviously, you can, yeah, you can just find out yeah, who the certifier is and talk to them directly or do or liaise through the builder and, and work closely with them.
0: Mm. Yeah, okay, easy peasy. And if you don't yeah. have a piece of land that has a, a like, it's got a builder with it, um, you just talk to a town planner, I imagine, and yeah. a private yeah, certifier.
2: Yeah, 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 and you can you can find that. Yeah, you, know, you don't have to find the ones that attached the builders. You can find you can just find out the, the certifier and, and contact them independently. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, yeah. So it's and and then you'll sort of uh, give yourself the best opportunity of getting a getting a deal or getting a, a, a development application approved rather than sort of if you're building something that sort of ticks the, tick the boxes for that one, then then generally, yeah, yeah it should, should be able to get that sorted. Yeah.
2: Yeah, know it can be a lot of time and frustration sometimes waiting for DA. So it's not a deal breaker, but um, if the deal stacks up and you've got to do a DA, then that's fine. But uh, in some cases, yeah, in most cases, you can do a CDC um, straight through.
0: Yeah, that's super interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Is there anything that... We haven't covered off that you wish we touched on um, going I believe,
2: through that. No, I believe we've touched, you know, we've basically comprehensively gone over, you know, most of the, the strategy, the light bulb moment, um, yeah, the, the metrics, um, and just, yeah, I, I guess we've, um, yeah, the strategy, the three and four years, um, and I guess we could just talk about some, yeah, some pros and cons of doing a, a duplex. Um, mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. I think we've. I think we've nailed it. This has been an awesome episode. You've really gone deep into the detail on what actually, how to actually do this. And the biggest takeaway that I'm taking from this is just take action. Like you've yeah, been told, yeah. no, you can do it. Um, I've, I've, um, I've been hearing uh, like people that just, like, oh, cool, I can't borrow. I just spoke. I just walked into the CBA and they said I can't borrow. Guess I can't do it. That's a shame. And then they just give in. But no, you're just saying, no, okay, if no, then what's the answer? How do I actually find it? And that's the biggest takeaway. Just go after, go after it yeah. because there is always a solution. And that's turned you into buying a principal place of residence, to duplexes, to commercial, and now you're doing this for other people. So how do people get in touch with you um, to be able to – because, like, I love this idea. I'm like, I've got, I've got capital. I've got equity. Um, what do I do? I don't have time. What? How do I? Yep. How do I get in touch with you? How does it work? Yeah.
2: So yeah, so um, at www.policyproperty.com um, Tom at Polisi Property, or, um, or my Facebook, um, Tom Tom Property Duplex and Developments Manager on Facebook.
0: just so go. It. I think I think
2: I've attached the um, I've attached it in the slides. Um, the links.
0: Book in a little discovery call. Speak to the guys
2: and yeah my, or my e- email at tom at police property or, oh yeah that's clear facebook put
1: it in the word the word doc
0: i think
2: yeah yeah i, I put i put the three links in the work yeah mm-hmm. awesome
0: okay Excellent. have a chat. No, it. Was, it,
2: was, it was great having a chat guys thanks very much for having me on it was uh, it was a blast
0: <laughs> yeah look Somebody's at that gonna watch gonna have it to... gee i hope they've got 100 yeah I love that, man. I love that.
2: Great, and yeah, hopefully it provided a lot of value, um, and yeah, just just to see what's possible, <laughs> uh, when you can just have that resilient mindset. I guess it was, you know, you always read. I read about a million books, and it just it's just a combination, of a range of things. Someone like yeah, you know, Robert Kiyosaki, he's always a proponent for buying the PPR at the end, and um, yeah, that was where it sort of started as well. But there's whether you're a fan or not um yeah he's certainly got some light bulb moments and just his general financial literacy probably you can open up another question as to why yeah you know, i would have loved to have known about it earlier if, if i had my time again obviously you'd love to just start early and i think you know that's something i love to you know i want to install in my instill in my kids is to to understand financial literacy because let's be honest I'm not, we're not going to get it to the general education system so I think, um, you know, just get them to, to, to adopt that financial literacy at a younger age will, um, will help them later on as well.
0: A so few games of yeah. monopoly or cash flow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, you're doing that now, mate. The kids can watch this. This will be on YouTube, I think. I don't know about forever, but however long YouTube lasts and uh, you can share this to them and they can understand the whole process because this, this has been a little masterclass in, in property development.
2: Um, Thank you very so, much, David. Thanks for having me on. Thanks, Thank you,
0: very thanks much. for jumping
1: on and preparing. You prepared so much for this, so I appreciate you doing all that. And um, and just it. yeah, I'm really looking forward to hearing about the about you when you buy your PPR. You have to put up a post and just yeah, keep keep us in the loop. Yeah. Actually, yeah,
0: keep 100%. join add um, Tom on LinkedIn because he keeps posting all the deals that he does, and it's just awesome to see. Like, oh, oh, this person did it. Oh, this person made hundred k. Oh, this person did it. This person made hundred and fifty. This person made two hundred. How is this happening? So join on mm. LinkedIn. There's, you put a heap. Of, you're a big poster on there. Um, yeah, yeah. Let's oh, do really it. Thank, on LinkedIn. Yeah. Thanks, gentlemen. Let's uh, let's go buy a duplex deal. See you later. <laughs> Thank you very
2: much.
0: Hear more interviews and share your story with some of Australia's top property experts and commentators now by joining the Oz Property Investors Facebook group with over 25,000 property investors, so we can all become better property investors together.